0: Hello, hello. Hey, morning stuff. Who's that, Boo?
1: Hi, hi, Mikey Mike. Hey, Izzy. Morning.
0: <laughs> He's back. Izzy <laughs> is gonna help out a little bit of the show today. She really wants to. I was telling people that. Everyone seemed pretty excited. Cool. Everyone's excited that you're helping Boo.
1: Oh, that's quite nice. Very cool.
0: Are we going to start off with the bad philosophy show?
1: Yes. And at the end, may I tell you what I'm going to say? Right at the beginning of the show, daddy me banged heads.
0: We did. We almost bumped our heads together.
1: We did. I felt
0: it. We were knocking our brains together to make ourselves smarter, right?
1: Eh. Oh, that was
0: good. Hey. So, um, what is... Uh, normally, we, do a, we try to do a good philosophy show. Yeah. But today, what are we going to do?
1: Bad, bad.
0: Bad philosophy show. And what's that bad. going to be like?
1: Um. If you want to get lots of money, always do. Go to Peter Joseph's world.
0: That's right, because in Peter Joseph's world, there's no money. So uh, that's the bad philosophy show. And I would say if you want to have lots of rain, make sure you go to the desert. Oh, she's left the room. Isabella has left the building. <laughs> Isabella has left the room. Very short show. <laughs> and what else do we have for bad philosophy? I saying, if you if you want to have lots of rain, make sure you go to the desert.
1: What? If you want to have lots of leaves, always go to winter. Ah, very nice. If you want to have lots of leaves and flowers and pumpkins, always go to Iceland.
0: Iceland. <laughs> right. Right. Mike, do you have any bad philosophy?
1: Make up while you're singing.
2: If you want to be cold, make sure you stand in a fire. Wait, no.
1: (laughs) If you want to be hot, always stand in some cold. Snow. Snow. And if you want to be frozen, always be steaming up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. And if you want to stand up, make sure you're lying down.
1: If you want to have a kiss, always make sure you're banging eyeballs.
0: Oh, <laughs> no banging eyeballs! We talked about that. Uh, Mike, anything, Thanks. anything you'd like to add to the Bad Philosophy Show? Hit.
2: If you'd like to be connected to the internet, make sure you unplug your router. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: seems to regularly you happen. Can do yeah, yeah. If
1: you want to be connected to internet, always plug, uh, uh, unplug. Runner, so that you don't play Dragon Veil.
0: Dragon Veil, that's a big thing. Uh, I would say if you want to swim, make sure you jump in the rocks.
1: If you want to swim, make sure you always get burned up.
0: Very good. Mike, would you like to do one or two more?
2: Okay. If you want to make Steph happy, be sure to cancel your free domain radio subscription.
3: Oh! <laughs>
1: If you want to make Izzy happy, always put me out of the show.
0: Always put you on the show?
1: No, out of.
0: Out of the show. Right, right, right. right. If
1: you want to make Izzy happy, always put me in your eyeball.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Mike, one more.
2: I think I'm out of bad philosophy.
0: If you want to make listeners happy, make sure you give them bad philosophy. And Boop, would you like to do one more?
1: Okay. If you want some, If you want some... Warmth, you don't live in a house, just isolated.
0: If you want want lots of power, make sure you come to Izzy's birthday party.
1: If you don't (laughs) want power, always come to nighttime, where the power is all the way out.
0: Very nice. And if you want to see where you're going, make sure you close your eyes.
1: If you don't want to see where you're going, open your eye eyes. And
0: Boo, do you know what one thing you could do before we what? start the show, if you like? What? So the song that you've been uh, working on?
1: Yeah. All the birds of
0: heaven. No, the, Deck the yeah. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Okay.
1: Deck the halls with boughs of holly. <laughs> ba, la 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 la, la 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 la. <laughs> Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Don we now our gay apparel, fa fa-la, la 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 la. Gay apparel to be jolly, fa la 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 la. La, ba, la 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 la, ba, la 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 la
0: la Oh sorry did I not help you at the end there.
1: La, ha, ha, ha,
0: ha. Very nice. All right. Well, I think we should uh, indulge the listeners a little bit. What do you think, Boo? Yeah. Okay, so um, Isabella's gonna go play with her mama. We are going to listen to the callers. Hang on, We can listen to the callers, and then we're going to bring Izzy back, give a brief overview of the problem, and see what Izzy has to say. All right? Okay. Okay, So, um, Mike, would you like to start with the first caller? Boo, I'll come give you a shout when it's time for
2: you to talk.
1: Um, call me like Isabella. Isabella. Okay.
2: All right. Thanks. All right. Uh, Up next is Nicholas. Go ahead, Nicholas. Hi. Hello. Oh, Hi.
4: G'day, Steph. Um, I'm calling from New Zealand, so it's pretty early in the morning. So um, hopefully my tightness doesn't seep into the conversation. Um, but I was just wanting to talk to you a bit about uh, sort of responsibilities for the bad things that you've done personally in your life. Um,
0: Do you mean that one has done so, or me has done or you have done?
4: Yeah, that I personally have done. Okay. So, um, so a couple of um, – a couple of years ago, when I was about 16, I I got into a really dysfunctional relationship with this girl. Um, she lived in Invercargill and I lived in Christchurch, and there's a, you know, it's about like a nine-hour drive between the two, um, so we sort of communicated back and forth, and eventually she started to tell me that she was being abused at home and sort of pushed it on me and said, you know, if you don't let me come and stay with you, then you know, it's going to continue and you're kind of aiding that. And so I let it come up and it really forced a bad relationship to get worse. And eventually it got to the point where we broke up um, after th- three or four months later. But we got um, got physically sort of, you know, like we uh, she punched me a number of times um, during the relationship. At the end, it got to the point where um, I actually uh, got in a fight with her and sort of, you know, and hit her. And so I just wanted to get your perspective on, on sort of – because you know how you say, you know, don't blame the victim, and you've got to look at the source of it. And so it's like, well, you know, do I sort of say to myself, hey, you're putting a situation through your you know, upbringing and stuff, and she was as well, and sort of push it on to them? Or is that just a cop-out? Am I not taking responsibility for – you know, getting in that fight, getting in that, you know, that drama and letting it happen.
0: Right. That's a good, that's a good question. I guess the question I would have is how, how many times did you have, like looking in hindsight, how many times did you have evidence that things were going to escalate to a negative place?
4: Almost from the beginning, to be honest. Um, there's numerous, occasions where I should have just said to myself, this is not worth it, and just left. Um, There was a stage I did do that, but she tried to stab herself and I had to catch the knife. I don't think she would have done it, but, you know, she put that sort of, she put that awkwardness, and she made it very difficult for someone who was only 17, 16, to, to deal with, and...
0: How the hell did yeah. you I mean just again, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but h- how on earth were you dealing with this as a sixteen year old on your own?
4: Oh well, um, my parents are split up, and i I see my dad, but not too often, but my mum at the time she was uh over in the middle East, she was on like a six month um she was on a six month sort of holiday, and so she didn't really get there until it was at that very, very very. High bad stage, and
0: well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, maybe I'm, yep. maybe I'm misunderstanding something. Yeah, so when your mom went on her six month holiday, were you 15 or 16? I was 16. Okay, and were you, I mean, I, I don't even know how to put this exactly. How on earth do you go on a six month holiday when you have a 16 year old child at home? Um,
4: my sister's 18. And I was working at the time, so yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. And I, I know my mum's quite like, cut up about it, and you know, she always says the same things. You know, like, God, I wish she hadn't gone, etc., etc.
0: Right. Was she going with a guy?
4: My mum. Oh no, she went with her um, best friend. Um, Who, whose friend? Uh, uh, her best friend.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seems like um, kind of a startling thing to do. Um, now, obviously, and this is not any negative towards you, but obviously your judgment was not good at the time. No, no. Right? And, no, and it's it not, not. Yeah, it's, it's not a negative at all. It's just, I mean, observable fact, right?
5: Mm, yeah.
0: And what, what that means is that either your mom thought that your judgment was good, in which case she had no clue what the hell was going on with you. Or she didn't – or she thought your judgment was bad, in which case, how on earth could she leave, right?
4: Mm, Yeah. Yeah.
0: So which do you think it was? Did she think that your judgment was really good and you were ready to live a life without parental involvement, Uh, in which case she obviously was wrong? Or did she think that your judgment wasn't good but decided to go anyway?
4: Uh, It would have been the first one because, you know – she didn't quite know like my sort of life at school at the same time. So I, I think it would have been that. Like she didn't, I think she had sort of like a, this is what a son, you know, is. And when he's 16, he's like this. And so now you treat him differently because he's 16, as opposed to this is Nicholas and this is how he deals with things. And this is, you know what I mean? Like,
0: not really. Uh, I mean, not really. Oh, okay. Because no, that's, I mean, that's like me saying all women are the same, Right. Like, if if she's got this idea that all 16-year-old children, all 16-year-old boys are the same, then that would indicate that she has no particular knowledge of you, but rather is applying some global template to you uh, and and making very important decisions without assessing you as an individual.
4: Mm. Well, it, it it would have been that. She would have thought that, you know, he's 16 now. He's got a job, so he'll be fine to manage the house for six months while I'm, while I'm in the Middle East.
0: Right. So the first error is your mother's, hmm. right? The, 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 what set the ball in motion, right? I mean, it, I'm not saying you have zero responsibility. That would be an insult to you, right? So I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is yep. look at violence as the culmination of a whole series of bad decisions, right? So you hitting the girl was the last in a whole series of dominoes, right? Mm. And the key thing about about violence, to me at least, is to look at the dominoes that precede the final event, right? Everything that leads up to the final event. You know, I mean, because in the media, all you see is the final event. You know, woman drives children into lake in car, ah, you know, and in movies, you just... Guys shooting at each other, guys who are drug dealers, there's no dominoes, right? I mm. guess I have a domino theory that's a little different than American geopolitics in the 60s and 70s. Oh,
5: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. But it's a domino theory, which is to prevent something, you look at the source, right? Prevention of violence is far better than cure, right? Because you're kind of discussing cure, and I'm being annoying, as usual, and trying to look at causes. mm. Okay. So oh, that's fine. <laughs> a a sixteen year old boy who's gone through, you know, parental upheaval and and divorce and and so on, and who is in the height of, I would assume that sexual desire or lust had something to do with uh, what could loosely be called your judgment, right?
4: Yeah, especially at the beginning, when you know, because yeah. I mean, it's something to off if you need to communicate with someone nine hours away. Um, you know, uh, so I definitely was clouded in making the decision to say that that was okay to be pursuing someone who lived, you know, um, on the other side of the, the island that I live in. Um,
0: well, I would imagine that as a 16-year-old young man, you were more interested in pursuing the vagina. The bag of crazy that came with it is something you were willing to put up with, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, but then it did get to a stage where uh, it became a sort of like she would make me feel like if I wanted to do the right thing, which was, you know, think of myself and say, well, she's got her issues and they are hers and I need to deal with me. She would make me feel like it was, you know, a trade-off between um, like if I left her, then I was being an evil person and by staying yeah. with her, I was doing the right thing Um right. So that sort of last stage was only really about like a month long. And then it was getting into this. Well, but by then you weird, were in, right? The by, stage.
0: No, but, but, yeah. but by yeah. then you were caught, right? And you were in this impossible situation where if you try and leave this woman, she tries to stab herself, right? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> that is a sound, but I'm not sure what the sound means.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just sort of, I'm sort of understanding your thought process. You know what I mean?
0: Well, so what I mean is that so you know the lust uh, has you. Oh yeah, you know, and and also you know like some white knighting, right? Like this woman, damsel in distress, right? I can, I can help her, I can save her, I can right make a positive difference in her life. You know, put that together with the lust, that's kind of an irresistible combination for a lot of men, right? And so then she she comes to live with you, and then by the time the lust wears off and the full depths of the crazy is evident, then, mm. but then you're, you're stuck. Like, what the hell are you going to do? You're 16. You've got this crazy woman or crazy girl who might kill herself if you leave her. She's moved there. She's dependent on you. What are you going to do? Call the cops to get her out? I mean, what, what happens then? Right. Then you really are stuck. Right. Yeah. Now, did you talk uh, yeah. to your mother, uh, before you invited this girl to come and stay with you?
4: Yes, I, I told her what was going on, and mum said that if I wanted her there, then I could have her there. So she was, um, she go-cated.
0: So she thought it was a, a good idea?
4: Um, my, my mum, she doesn't quite tell you what she thinks is good or bad. She kind of does this sort of thing where it's like, you do what you want to do, and if you stuff up, and you talk to me about it, I'll tell you then, as opposed to at the beginning, unless it's like really crazy and I'm going to like, mom, is okay to shoot myself in the head? She'll be sort of like yeah, at a distance, if you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, whereas this would be more like, mom, is it okay if my dick shoots me in the head? Okay. Um, but <laughs> but this, this was a situation where learning from consequences was not wise, right? Like, I mean, there are, there are, there's learning from consequences that make sense, and then there's learning from consequences that doesn't make sense, right? So you don't let a child stick a fork into an electrical socket because they'll learn from the consequences because it might kill them, right? Yeah. yeah so is. so this, is, this would not be a situation where learning from consequences, like invite this woman with a highly unstable past uh, and highly manipulative and, and um, uh, deranged personality structure uh, in, into your house. Right I mean, there are, there are professionals, like right? I mean, I'd I have no idea what this woman would be. I mean, it sounds to me like with suicidality and, and threats and all of that, uh, it sounds like um, a personality structure called borderline. I mean, I'm an amateur, I can't possibly diagnose, but it sounds to me. And, and if that's true, if that's true, then professionals cannot can help her, as far as I understand it. I mean, she may mellow a little bit when she gets into her 60s, but therapists, to my knowledge, try and avoid borderlines unless they, you know, because they're just so much work, and they become stalkers and they follow therapists around and they, you know, stab their their the, the the um tires on their cars and then they call them at two o'clock in the morning, threatening to kill themselves if they can't see them immediately, and like it's really crazy, crazy stuff. So. If if professionals as a whole have a huge amount of difficulty trying to help these kinds of disturbed people, a sixteen year old boy has <laughs> no chance. Gonna, this is not, not a no. <laughs> learn by consequences situation, right?
4: Yeah. Um, uh, and I also was um, wanting to talk to you uh, about her at the same time, but it got to this sort of Wait, stage. Wait, about who? Your mother oh,
5: or
0: the girl?
4: The girl. Um, it got to the stage where, you know how you're saying about the lust, that completely dissipated and it turned to the opposite. It was, I I was revolted by her and she would get, she she would, because I was living with uh, a few other people inside the house, um, she would always kick up a storm and she'd always be throwing things in the house and throw, you know, just yelling and making me feel just terrible. About you know like that you know I'd feel ashamed at the same time as my friends were being woken up and they had work in the morning or whatever, and she would always do this when it came to sex, and so she would threaten me to if I didn't have sex with her, then you know she would do this, and of course I felt I hated this woman with every fiber of my body, but I would I would do it, and I was just wondering what you think that 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 is because I think the word rape just. It seems like it overkills it, but I, I don't. I don't know what would.
0: I'm sorry. Would you call uh, what was her, what, her, if you didn't have sex with her? What was her threat again? I just missed that.
4: So she would sort of, she would embarrass me, and she would, so like she would uh, be screaming throughout the entire house. She'd be throwing things, calling me names, saying just anything and everything. So I guess the threat was really, she would make me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And put me down and things like that. So it was all—it was quite verbal-based.
0: Yeah. Look, I mean, there. I mean, according to, as far as I understand it, according to the standard feminist definition of rape, that is rape because it's verbally bullying, verbally abusing, verbally pressuring someone into sex that they don't want. Mm. That is a that is a form of rape, as far as I would understand it, uh, in the general nomenclature. You know, whether it's the legal definition of rape or whatever, it doesn't particularly yeah. matter. I think fundamentally. But um, I've heard statistics which I'm still jaw-dropped about and I have yet to fully verify. It. 40% of rape is female-initiated. And so it, this, to my understanding, if you've ever been bullied into sex that you don't want, uh, feminists will call that a form of rape. And uh, I think that it's um, It's definitely in the category. You know, Whether it would be legally actionable in a free society, I have no idea. But mm. to verbally bully and humiliate someone into having sex with you against their will is um, – yeah, I think that definitely falls into coercive sexual behavior. It's a form of sexual assault as far as I would uh, believe. And um, uh, having sex when you don't want to is not rape. Mm.
4: Right? Yeah, because I mean But, like, but if you, you are having
0: sex name. in order to avoid verbal abuse, verbal assault, uh, that is – um that's a different category, if that makes sense, right?
4: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess those I think were important to sort of, um, as you're saying, you know, the domino, uh, the dominoes, and then it got to the sort of point where we had broken up, and she was living elsewhere because I'd sort of, you know, said to her, let's have some distance in the relationship, so not say we're going to break up, but just have distance. She moved out, and then as soon as she'd moved out, you know, just cut it. and was like, no, we're done. Yeah, um, but then I had this sort of, this sort of urge that I, I I don't know I mean I don't agree with it now, but at the time I felt like she had shamed me and and just know, used me and spit me out and I, know, I felt like I had to get back at her, and so I wanted this final confrontation, knowing full well that it could escalate. I mean, I had all the history to show that it would, yet I went anyway, and. It got to the point where you know she was trying to she was pushing me and I finally uh, physically attacked her back. I mean I hadn't done that too in the relationship, but I did at this point, so I'm sort of just wondering you know I know that's the wrong thing to do. How much do I need to reflect that against against me and sort of my personal character
0: well i don't I don't know I mean this happened when you were sixteen right <laughs>
4: Oh, this was seventeen. So seventeen, yeah, okay. yeah, basically the Yeah.
0: So, you you felt that you wanted to 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 punish her for all the hell that she'd put you through, Hannah. How long was she living with you?
4: Uh, about six months.
0: And what did your sister have to say about this?
4: Mm, my sister, uh, my sister, she had uh, moved out just after mum had left.
0: But, oh, what did Wait, your sister say? moved out?
4: Yeah, she moved out. She met a boyfriend and wait, she...
0: Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So when I said, wait a second, your mom went on a six-month trip? Yeah. And you said, yeah. no, 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 my sister was home.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she moved out. Mm. Like, two weeks afterwards.
0: <laughs> All right. So two weeks after your <laughs> mom left you were at the age of 16 um, alone.
4: Well, yeah, I just had my friends living at the flat.
0: And did your mother know that your sister was going to move out?
4: I don't think she did before she left, but she knew when she was already away.
0: So your mother knew that your sister had moved out, who was the adult in the house, and she thought, well, you know, I'm having a nice time out here. So I think I'll just keep on with my vacation, right? Yeah, I guess so. Now, you're laughing, but you understand that this is desperately terrible. Yeah. Right? The adult has moved out. The legal child is now having a disturbed woman move in with no adult supervision. What the fuck? Like, are you getting this?
4: Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to because you know afterwards, me and my mum we've connected a lot more. But I guess yeah, at the time that it is, it's obviously not the right thing to do.
0: Well, you're putting it kind of mildly there, my brother.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No,
0: listen, listen. This could have gone really, really badly right i don't know if you understand mm. that you have some sense of it because you ended up in a physical fight right but mm. this could i mean yeah. this woman could have stabbed you she might have yeah. stabbed herself right she might have she might have falsely accused you of assault or rape
4: oh no she did i i had to go through the um court system after the fight, oh, you were? Were happened. you accused of assault? Yeah, male assaults female, but um, we were able to, we were able to clear it because um, at first the fight sort of uh, was a, she pushed me, I pushed her, and then I was trying to grab the phone because I could hear her mother on the other end screeching, so I was trying to grab the phone and she grabbed my finger and she bit it, and then that's when I punched her in the face. Because, you know, right. my finger was in there. So it was sort of, at the time, the police, you know, they always take the woman's side, you know, um, you know, and they see a damsel in distress and they lock you up. But then when they looked at the, you know, all the statements, they said, well, this is a fight. It's, it's not because no one was using excessive force. And you had bite So marks. Yeah, and they took photos and, yeah. So I was cleared eventually. I mean, it took, like, I think it's like six months before they can come to that. Even though, if you read yeah, the and papers, yeah, it's not the first exactly day, a
0: very relaxing six months, right?
4: <laughs> no, no, it isn't. Especially when you're detained so, and that's when you can yeah, get it. Yeah, so look, um, it went, it
0: went really badly, but it could could have gone even more badly, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, it could have.
0: Right. So what I'm trying to sort of point out here is that. Your mother was enormously, I mean, I, I don't even know a, an adjective big enough, enormously irresponsible yeah. to go on a six-month vacation with you in this situation, which she knew about without an adult in the house.
4: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses. Although it probably is that. Um,
0: my, well, let my let, dad, me, let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this. We'll just look at some basic facts, right? At 16, okay. are you nine years away from final brain maturity? Yes, you are. At 16, yeah. are you a legal adult? You are not. I'm just talking about the existing system, right? People are going to say, well, you're 16. Yeah. You could be hugely mature, blah, blah, blah. But you weren't. No, I wasn't, no. Right? And were you a legal adult? No. Were you in a place where you could make good decisions? No. Was there a legal adult in the house? No, because your sister moved out two weeks after your mom left. Did your mom know that you were inviting a, a, a victim of child abuse to come and live with you who was unstable and dangerous when you were 16 without adult supervision? Yes. Is that good parenting? No. no, that's... Could it have been a literal life disaster?
4: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. In a lot of ways it came it was, damn close.
0: So. Even even with the situation that you were in, it came pretty damn close. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, let's really say true. you'd have gotten for assault, maybe you'd have gone to jail, maybe you'd have been raped in jail, maybe uh, you may know, maybe this would have been the start of a whole like this is not a fucking learn by consequences situation.
4: <laughs> no, it's not.
0: Okay, you keep laughing. I don't understand that.
4: I um I, I don't know. I guess Back from, like, when I was in high school, I've always sort of tried to cover bad things with, like, just trying to find it funny, if you know what I mean. Sort of just to try and mellow over it, if you know what I mean.
0: You uh, being in the proximity of rape, I don't find funny. You having a woman in your house who threatens to kill herself, if you try to get some separation from this bag of crazy is not funny. Your mother being off gallivanting around for six months while you're trying to deal with the borderline in your house, uh, bullying you and cornering you and threatening you with suicide is not funny. And now I understand the nerves and like we're kind of breaking through some ice here, right? Because Mm -hmm. you, you have obviously a social environment that colludes with or creates the desire for humor in this disaster, right? Yeah. But this is completely horrifying. This is completely and utterly horrifying. Yeah. And there's got to be, I shouldn't say there's got to be, I would imagine that there is anger in your heart for people not looking out for you. For people not protecting you, for people not supporting you, you know, when you're a teenager, particularly when you're dealing with the hormones and the sex drive, that's, you know, interstellar, right? Mm. You, you need people around you who are going to watch your back, who are going to keep you safe, right? Yeah. Teenagers, uh, I mean, teenagers have immature brains, at least in the current system. Who knows? I mean, biologically, it's going to be tough. Like, it's not like puberty is going to be at the age of six in a free society. There are biological growths, right? Uh, the growth <laughs> yeah. requirements, right? And yeah. so, when you're 16, you can't see over the horizon of your decisions. And and that's exactly how nature demands you be, right? Nature is using you, like, is using <laughs> yeah, you to make another you. person, right? And and doesn't yeah. really matter what happens afterwards, right? It just, like, have sex. You don't think about the consequences. That's being a teenager. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly natural for being a teenager.
5: Yeah,
0: But how on earth do you feel about nobody looking out for you and you with your sister and your father and your mother around ending up in this situation? It's their job. Not so much your sister, but your father and mother for sure. It's their goddamn job to make sure you don't end up in this kind of situation.
4: Yeah, yeah. And you're right, I do. I'm, I, I, I've, I've definitely told my mom... Um, and there's been a lot of tears and a lot of apologies, and me and my mum, we've been working really hard to, you know, to come a lot closer. I did tell my dad about it, and I, I told him about, you know, the, the rape side of it, and he sort of gave me this sort of, like, oh, don't be ridiculous, oh, that's not rape, because there was no gag ball and rope sort of thing, and... And you're right, I'm really pissed off with, with him about that. And I mean, I think he once told me during this relationship, I mean and this is quite interesting because he had a relationship, he was about the same age, it turned exactly the same. So he had insight and knowledge of, of what to avoid and he didn't tell me about it. And and he just said to me to, to me, he goes, Son, you don't want to lock yourself down because there's so many girls out there. And that's all he said. He didn't it's no, she bangs her face against a tree and makes it bleed because you want to go to a party that she doesn't know anyone there at. There's nothing like that. It's not like I didn't tell him. You know, he just sort of was like, why settle for one? And, I mean, what a cop out. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. <sighs> and, and if your father has normalized his own relationship, with a destructive woman or girl, then it's more likely that you're going to end up in the same situation, right? Because he's not going to be able to warn you about something that he has normalized for himself. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah.
0: Like, I mean, there are times, I mean, I haven't had a cavity in like 20 years, but when I would go and, you know, if I had a cavity, they'd drill it and they'd, right? And that that's normal. That's, you know, you got a cavity, you get it drilled and capped or whatever, right? And mm. so, you know, if my, my daughter says I have a cavity, I'd say, well, you know, got to go get it fixed at the dentist, right? Mm. And that's normalizing things. Now, and that's, I think, a reasonable normalization, right? But... Yeah. But if I have normalized my own abuse at the hands of a crazy woman and said, that's fine, that's normal, that's whatever, right? It's a learning experience and this and that. Then if you're heading in that direction, what am I going to do? Am I going to say, oh, my God, no, you have got to stop this right now. Call the cops, get her out of your house, uh, get her committed, Send whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Well, you can't get her committed. You're just the boyfriend. But, you know, uh, or if you, you know, you phone up your dad and you say, well, there's this woman who's suffering from this girl who's suffering from extreme abuse at home and she wants to come and live with me. And I'm 16 and there's no adult in the house. I'd say, oh, my God, where's your mother? Oh, she's gone on vacation for six months. Okay, Uh, I am now going to quit my job and just come to live with you for a while because, you know, your crazy mom is whatever. Right. I mean, there's a reason why you're susceptible to crazy women and it doesn't come from the crazy women. Right comes from the older crazy woman in your life, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of people who made really, really bad decisions for you to end up in this situation. Okay. Right?
5: Yeah.
0: And you were, you know, drawn in by by hormones and and the white knighting, which is, you know, every time you see a woman in distress, uh, men will you know, give their lives, right? I was listening to this story mm. the other day. I think it was in Australia about a guy. He sees some woman being physically aggressed against by some guy. He jumps in to save her and gets himself stabbed to death.
4: Mm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just something. something like happened in
4: Auckland as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah so, um, so, you know, the white knighting is a very strong impulse, and biologically, you know, again, it makes sense. Uh, white knighting yeah. plus sexual drive at 16 – There's a lot of people who made really, really bad decisions, including your sister, who's an adult and who decided to move out and leave you alone, knowing that there was this crazy woman in your orbit, right? Yeah. Yeah, So lots of people made really, really bad decisions that led to you being in this situation, right? Yep. Hmm. And the key thing, look, uh, the fact that you went to go and confront this woman is not a good decision, right? But was there anyone in your life saying to you and helping you understand you can't go and confront crazy people? They'll always win because they're crazy, right? Yeah. I saw this meme on Facebook says, you know, arguing with irrational people is like playing chess with a pigeon. No matter what happens, the pigeon is going to... Shit on the board, strut around, and think that it's won, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can't you you can uh, you can't have you can't win arguments with crazy people because there no. are no rules with crazy people. The only rule that crazy people have is win at all costs. They're like street fighters, right? It's like yeah. uh, you know m- the Queensbury rules boxing match with the guy is going to call in an airstrike. Well, you lose, right? No matter what. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. you know, so the idea that you're going to go and confront this crazy woman and Somehow achieve some sort of victory, you know. Crazy, interesting game. The only way to win is not to play, right? And so your desire for vengeance, which I understand, your desire to punish her back for the punishment that she'd meted out to you, I completely understand. And you know, if I were your dad and you had that impulse and told me, I'd say, "Well, let's talk about this." I didn't. And we'd have gone through like, "What talk. is it you want to achieve?" And what is it that blah 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 blah, right? And we would have figured out that this was a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but of course, if we I may- were your dad, <laughs> this wouldn't have happened to begin with. Wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Right? I mean, because you'd have said, hey, I'm really interested in this woman who's suffered extreme child abuse. And we're like, well, first of all, you wouldn't be interested in such a woman because, yeah. you know, wouldn't have ex- wouldn't have ex- ex- you wouldn't have experienced abuse and abandonment in my environment. So you wouldn't be interested yeah. in such a woman. And even if you were, I would say, well, this is, you know, I mean, if, if someone was having a heart attack, what do you do? Do you invite them in your house and say, I don't know, I'll talk you through it? No. You, you call an ambulance and you get these people to professionals because you can't handle yeah. a heart attack. Neither can I. Now, yeah. there, as somebody pointed out in the chat room, there are some people who work with borderlines. But they're very Great. robust, somewhat few and far between. And, you know, a 16-year-old <laughs> kid cannot handle a borderline. I I couldn't yeah. understand. I mean, if somebody borderline moves into my house. I mean, my my life's going to hell in a handbasket too, right? Yep. yep. So. So 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 much. So many bad decisions happened before you got bitten and punched her. Did your family know that yeah. you were going to go and confront her?
4: No, um, no, they didn't. It sort of just All happened right. in like a in an afternoon at around four or something. So everyone's at work etc right i think I'd, i i think i It's, I'd my, seen guess, her the it's more...
0: my guess that she wanted you to come and confront her that you were just simply yeah. obeying her impulses
4: yeah again. well i mean everything else had been some sort of manipulation of hers so it's not a crazy idea to think that that wasn't either
0: yeah because that because by coming to confront her she could escalate it to the point where you would hit her and then she can abuse you further through the police and the court system, right? Mm. It's mm. just another kind of rape, right? Yeah. yeah. Now you're laughing again. But...
4: That's, yeah, it's a bad, bad habit of uh, trying to deal with things. It's just, we'll make it laugh and you don't need to think about it sort of thing.
0: Right. But you need yeah, to think it's... about it. You know, because you are, you are at risk. You are an at-risk young man because you're still laughing, right?
4: Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, so that's sort of like It right, Which
0: means that somebody, somebody uh, is going to hear this story, know that you're laughing, and know that you're vulnerable, and they're going to sink their hooks so deep into you they're going to come at your ass, right?
4: Okay, yeah.
0: Right, because you are broadcasting your vulnerability with that laugh. You are saying to people, I am open to manipulation, I do not have self-defenses, I do not have a clan around me that will protect me from crazy, evil, screwed up people. Here is my invisible bat sound that's going to draw more crazy people into my life.
4: Yeah, I haven't thought about it like that. I mean, um, since I've been like, a, you know, since I was younger, um, you had that sort of quite, you'd laugh at the darkest stuff, but I didn't quite sort of think about it in those terms. You know, it's a way of not thinking of things. It's just I'll laugh it off and keep going. But then it's like, yeah, I see what you mean.
0: No, no, you've got to understand where the laughter comes from. The laughter doesn't come from you because your experience was genuinely horrifying and terrifying. And you narrowly escaped a life-destroying series of events. I mean, literally, the bullet grazed your cheek. I mean, you were an incredibly lucky young man. I mean, you could have been eaten up by the legal system and never see the light of day again, fundamentally. Or you could have got this woman pregnant, God help you, right? Yeah. That was one and of the And then young... you got basically a bag of crazy tied to your nuts for 20 years and your wallet, right? Mm. And true. boy, you want to see how crazy uh, people. Hurt other people. Just watch them dig into the legal system. I mean, she'd be changing stuff all over the place. She'd be preventing visitation. She'd be uh, telling the child. She'd be conspiring with the children to hurt you more. I mean, literally, this could have been a life-destroying series of events, and you very narrowly escaped that. So it's nothing to do with you that the laughter is occurring. The laughter is occurring because that's what your family needs you to do. Not because that was your experience. Your family needs you to laugh so that you don't say, where the fuck were you people in trying to save me, in trying to protect me? How the hell did your child end up in this goddamn situation? Yeah. They need you to laugh at it. They need you to laugh at it. Do you understand?
4: Yeah. (laughs) Look at this. (sighs)
0: I bet you there's no part of you, your genuine experience is laughing at this because it is seriously not funny. But the people who are supposed to protect you need you to laugh it off so they don't actually experience the emotional consequences of failing to protect you and putting you in a near-life-destroying series of events. I mean seriously, what if you punched this woman? What if you punched this woman, broken her nose and and driven it into her brain? She could have died. One punch can kill someone. Yeah. This is what I'm saying by you you so narrowly escaped this. What if she'd stag backwards and fall down a flight of stairs?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Sure. There's many, many instances of people who got into one bar fight through one punch and ended up in jail for thirty years. Okay. Right. So the, the 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 complete catastrophe of this whole situation. Which your parents, which it was your parents' job to protect you from, they need you to laugh at it, mm. so that they don't have to experience the horror of their irresponsibility.
4: Fuck, it is. Uh, that's just fucked up.
0: It is. It is.
4: Yeah, it's really fucked up.
0: No, and I it's the same the thing the door that door. makes it's the same thing that <clears throat> you're told to cheer the flag and cheer your sports team and all of that. It's just a profit from people. You know, you're supposed to cheer your your troops and your government because it's highly profitable. The Stockholm syndrome is highly profitable, right? Because it allows people to avoid the consequences of their immorality. You know, children forced into public schools, laden down with hundreds of thousands of dollars of unchosen debt when they draw their first breath, are supposed to pledge allegiance to the flag. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's a sick joke, right? And Mm. your parents can escape the consequences of appallingly terrible parenting if they can get you to laugh at this almost complete catastrophe, which they are fundamentally responsible for.
4: Yeah. Uh, One thing... I mean, you you dead right. I mean, it it really does make me really, really pissed off. Um, I guess the the challenge is, Do you, do I want to? I mean, cause I haven't thought about it in those terms, and now that I am, it's really just yeah, getting to me. Is it worth to to go out and and sort of to say to my mother like what the fuck, like seriously what the fuck or is it sort of a better thing to sort of ease it into, if you know what I mean like is it okay to vent that anger And It's okay
0: It's personally? okay to be angry at the people in your life of course it's okay to be angry at the people in your life listen, did your mum ever get angry at you? Sorry? Did your mum <clears throat> ever get <throat> angry at you? I'm sorry? Yes, yeah Yeah, yeah okay, so if your mum got angry at you then she can't really complain about you getting angry at her, right? Yeah. So yeah. you can do that. My suggestion, though, my suggestion would be if you can get to a therapist, you, you, would, you would really, really benefit from a therapist helping you through this process.
4: Mm. That's a good point. I was actually considering doing it.
0: Um, yeah, listen, I would do more than consider it. Um, I, you know, if your mom or your dad have any money, I would go to them and say, listen, I really need you to pay for some therapy here because things got kind of screwed up and I'm dealing with a lot of aftermath here. And then when you're under the care of a therapist, uh, you can begin to plan how it is that you're going to talk to your parents about this kind of stuff. Because it's going to be very difficult. My guess is, I don't know your parents, but my guess is that your parents are going to try to make you feel crazy when you bring up the insanity of the family. Because that's generally what people do. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, you were a young man, you made a mistake, we've all been there, you know, you're fine, everything worked out. And they're just going to try and minimize it and then give you the impression that you're crazy for having any issues with how you were raised. And, and you need a therapist in your quite, corner saying, no, you're not crazy. This is important stuff.
4: Yeah. Isn't that quite sick, though, that they would be willing to say, no, it's your fault, so that they don't have to deal with it?
0: Of course. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, beyond sick. Yeah. It's, it's, it, to me, this is evil, right? Yeah. To me, it's evil to, I mean, uh, to think, have failed in your parenting and then to blame your children and then to further make them feel even crazier when they confront you on what you've done. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. completely immoral. Uh, it's, it's incredibly destructive, which is why you need someone in your corner because you are going to want to conform to their preferences. You will always want to conform to your parents' preferences. I will always want to conform to my parents' preferences. That's just how we're hardwired as a species. Um, I mean, that's because to disagree with your parents, uh, to, to fundamentally oppose your parents throughout most of human history would simply get you killed, right? I mean, you would be abandoned or, or, or even if you survived your childhood, if you rejected the norms of your tribe, no woman would mate with you. So those genes of independence are Pretty not common, right? I mean, they were weeded out, which is why so much of the 100,000 plus years of human history is – or at least human prehistory is so stagnant, right? <clears throat> and the genes are still there. they just squelched, right? They're, they're always looking for an opportunity to, to grow, but they generally get squelched and crushed. So we will always have a desire to conform to our parents' preferences and expectations. Uh, it's a great power that I know of as a parent, which I try never ever to use, right? But um, you will always – so if your, parents, if your parents' need is for you to be crazy in order for them to retain their sense of whatever, morality or, or efficacy or whatever, <clears throat> you will conform to that almost, almost certainly. And so you need someone in your corner to help remind you that this is important, that this was extremely dangerous, that it was your parents' job to protect you, and that they completely and miserably and totally failed in their job to protect you with almost completely catastrophic results, which is terrifying and in in angering for anyone who's still dependent upon the parents. And at 16, you are, right?
5: Mm.
4: Yeah, well, you you did right. You did right.
0: And I just wanted to tell you I'm incredibly sorry that you went through this. This is scarring stuff. You know what I mean? You're permanently scarred or broken or anything like that, but this is terrifying, scary stuff. Not only that this happens in the world, but that it happened to you is really terrifying.
4: I I appreciate that. I really do. really do. And I think you're right, like, it it is, but I guess it's more an extra hurdle that other people don't have to deal with, you know, one more challenge to get through and then you can get back on the normal road, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's
0: a big (laughs) challenge and you shouldn't have to face this. I mean, you you shouldn't have had to face this at 16, you shouldn't have to face this now. I'm really, really, really sorry for the family hand you were dealt or born into. I mean, this is not the people you would have choose to raise you and... You don't have that choice, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm just – I'm incredibly sorry that any of this happened to you. It's so unnecessary and so easy to protect children from.
4: Yeah. And yeah.
0: You know, it, I mean, there, I, there was no need for you to go through any of this with any kind of decent parenting around, and I'm, you know, I'm not even talking stellar parenting. I'm just talking like basic don't push your children into a lion's den parenting.
4: Mm. I mean, I mean isn't is never going to have to face that. So you're right.
0: Oh, you think I'm going to go take off for six months? No, and my definitely not. Take off for six months when Isabella's is 16 and she says, oh, you know, there's this, guy, uh, who's been abused, uh, this young, young guy who's been heavily abused. This uh, young young guy has been heavily abused, is really scary and dangerous. I'd really like him to come and live in the house while you guys are away for six months. And we'd be like, yeah, well, you know, you can learn. I mean, this is insane, right?
4: it is definitely definitely well um so i guess the i guess for me it's it's sort of i have to deal with those sort of those realities that that, although i may be the one who threw the punch i sure didn't design everything to lead up to it so i can't really say well i'm a bad man because i i have struck a woman sort of thing
0: well, no, wasn't it self-defense? Wasn't she biting you?
4: Yes, she was. She was biting me.
0: Yeah, well, that's very dangerous, right? It's more bacteria in the human mouth than there is in a dog's mouth. I mean, you can mm-hmm. get sick. You can get blood poisoning. You can, right, I mean, this dangerous stuff, right? She might she yeah, might that's... have contracted herpes, but she might, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, it's I'm not, not a <laughs> doctor, what the hell, but this dangerous stuff, and it's it's incredibly painful, uh, so you did not initiate the use of violence right no so wasn't this again wasn't this self defense again tell me how i'm wrong
4: no no it was self defense
0: so then you're morally off the hook right
4: i guess yeah yeah i i, I mean cuz no, seriously seriously now.
0: look look no no sorry let me let me put it to you this way cuz this is going to be tough to if a dog bit you can you kick the dog yes Right. If a man punched you, can you punch him back? Yes. If a man bit you, can you punch him? Yes. Yeah. So why? It's no different for a woman.
4: Mm, yeah. No, you're right.
0: You know, get out of the white knight thing. You know, bitch bites you, punch her.
4: Oath. <laughs> Oath to that.
0: <laughs> I hate to be blunt, but this is fully in accordance with the non-aggression principle. I don't don't see how you did anything. I mean, obviously, the whole, you know, going to confront her, blah, 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 but none of that is immoral. You know, when she bit you, you know, gloves are off, baby. All bets are off. You know, you bite someone hard enough that they take photographs and it exonerates you from assault. That's a pretty hard fucking bite. Well, sorry, honey. You now took the gloves off. I'm going to punch you.
4: Well, that means a great deal to me because when I get when I got into the libertarian stuff, that just popped up. It's just said, "Well, you you believe in nonviolence, but you punched a woman in the face." And to have no, no, no,
0: no, <laughs> I don't believe in nonviolence. It's the non-aggression principle. Self yeah. defense is perfectly admissible.
4: Okay. Well, that's lifted some weight, and although now no, I have another all one, wait. That
0: I have to <laughs> all weight, all weight, all This the self defense is not a. Well, initiating violence is 100% wrong, but self-defense is only 50% wrong. This is not a bit. Sorry, <laughs> the wrong phrase with the biting woman. <laughs> right? Yeah. The initiation of force is 100% wrong. Self-defense is 100% right. Look, what might have happened next? Might she have tried to gouge your eyes out? Might she have kicked you in the ball so hard you'd be sterile? Might she have head-butted your nose? Might she have pushed you down the stairs? You don't know what might have happened next if you had not defended yourself. Yeah. Did you keep yourself physically safe after being viciously assaulted through biting? Yes, you did. Did you kill her? No, you did not. You reacted as any sane mammal would react to an attack, I mean, you corner a rat it's going to bite you even though you're like five hundred times its size, right
4: yeah yep. yep
0: so no, this is not some weight off your shoulders, you are acting in self defense, yeah, which the cops agreed with, right
4: yeah eventually, yeah, they did.
0: Now, in a sane universe, the woman would have been charged with assault, right?
4: Mm. Yeah, she would have, you know, bite people.
0: Yeah, but, you know, the pussy pass is, is pretty powerful, right? Yeah, it is. And look, I don't know all the details of the attack, but I do know that <clears throat> if the cops dropped it, then they certainly did not consider you to have initiated it, right?
4: Yeah, because they look for any excuse. <laughs>
0: to run with. Right. So, so no, listen, there's nothing, I mean, I I think it would have been wrong for you not to defend yourself.
5: Okay. (sighs) Well, yeah. I, hmm.
4: I don't really know what to say, to be honest. I just have to rethink the the entire thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, you you already already knew that this woman had... You already knew that this woman had a fantastically terrifying capacity for violence, right? Yes. Right, she'd already threatened herself with a knife, so... No, I mean, um... She attacks you, um, you pop her in the face. I think it's a tragic situation to be in, and there's lots of ways to avoid it, but... Man, keep yourself safe. It's a dangerous woman. Mm. Okay.
4: Well, thank you.
0: Um,
4: it's brought a lot of insight.
0: Will you at least call the therapist see so if you can set something up?
4: Yes, definitely. I,
0: oh, good, good for I you, mean,
4: it's Yeah, I mean, it's like we said, it's, it's, it's a wise investment if it's going to lead to happiness. I mean, why do you buy a PlayStation, you know? To try and get a little bit of enjoyment, to be happier. Well, a therapist can, I guess, really get all that other more important stuff out of the way. So it's worth the money. I'll definitely look into that.
0: Well, I did promise my daughter that she would get a chance to comment on listeners. I hope you don't mind if I give her the heavily edited version. Go for it. Hang on a second. (laughs) Go for it. All right, so uh, we're talking to a fellow who's, he's from New Zealand, oh. which is near Australia. That's where, do you remember we saw a little bit of the movie The Hobbit? Yeah. That's where they filmed the movie. Oh. So I don't think he is a hobbit, but I can't tell because I don't see any video.
1: <laughs> That's really funny.
0: Now, can I tell you a strange story yeah. that he just told me, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So when he was 16 years old,
5: yeah.
0: which is even younger than Ramali, he was still a, a child. He couldn't... He was not an adult. He, still, he
1: could drive a car, though.
0: He could drive a car, but he you don't become an adult till you're 18, so he was still two years away from being an adult. Oh. Okay. So, do you know what Happy happened?
1: Happy birthday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know what happened? His mama, well, his father wasn't there. Is that right, Stephen? Your father, did he live close or no? Uh, no. 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 Okay. Was, so, his father was Same city, but... His parents had...
1: Divorced.
0: His parents had divorced. That's right. And... So his mommy decided she wanted to go on a vacation for how many months? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six months.
1: With his child? With the child? No.
0: What? Exactly. He she did not bring him on her vacation. And she was gone for six months.
1: Did he drop him off at the dad's place?
0: Uh no had to drive there? He didn't go to the dad's place. He lived in the house. Now, he had an older sister, but she left two weeks after the mommy did. He was 16, still a child, alone in the house for six months.
1: How long did the girl stay The sister stay for?
0: Two weeks only.
1: Oh, well, that's not as long as six months.
0: That's not as long as six
1: so months. So at least he gets some company.
0: For a tiny bit.
1: No, for a tiny bit. No, no, no. After she comes back, the, the sister...
0: Oh, she she went for the whole six months. She only stayed for two weeks, and then she went for the whole six oh. months. Oh. Not so good.
1: No. At least she got some company, which is good.
0: For the two weeks? Yeah. Yes. But what about the rest of it? Uh, thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, that job that job gets the thumbs down. That parenting job gets the thumbs down. Now, can and, I, it's, yes?
1: and they should go to jail.
0: You think they should go to jail? I
1: just make kids. Oh, me and Daddy? I just make kids. What
0: care. would the police sound be? That's right. That's right. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. I just need to close the door. Okay, close the door. And then I have one other question to ask you because he's very upset about something. So let me tell you something, Boo. So um, a woman, another girl, basically. Yes. So he kissed her for a little while, but she became a little scary. <laughs> yeah. And he said, listen, I don't really want to kiss you anymore because you're kind of yeah. <laughs> crazy.
5: Yeah.
0: Right. And do you know what she did, Boo? What? She bit him. That's quite
1: strange. That
0: is quite strange. <laughs> and so he, he... And she bit him so hard, he, he pushed her, and she fell down. And he felt... He feels really bad about pushing him. What do you think?
1: I think it's a bit bad.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Why is it?
1: Because, I mean, I don't want to push every you down, poke.
0: No, we don't want to push people down.
1: Yeah, may I do something?
0: Beep. Beep. Beeping my nose. But I think that if she bit him, it's okay, because she might just keep biting him, right? So I think it's okay to make sure she doesn't bite him again. Now, if the only way he can do that is to push her back, I think that's okay. Although I told him he shouldn't be in that situation to begin with. Does that make sense? He should just run away. Yeah, he couldn't, though, because she had him cornered. How? Well, in the corner of a room, right? So he couldn't get past her. Well,
1: I was just stuck under her legs.
0: (laughs) She should duck under her legs. I don't think she was that tall. Was Was she? Stephen, was she that tall?
4: uh no definitely
0: not so he couldn't get under her legs oh so yeah so he he felt bad and I said I said look it's really bad that you got into a situation where you got bitten uh I said I I've, I've never known anyone who bites people and we don't do we know anyone who bites people
1: no well
0: sometimes when you put the uh what? When you put the nail polish on your toes, they look a little bit like m right?
1: <laughs> so he tries, my dad tries to bite.
0: Well, You and tell me no, right? I'm
1: kidding. Yeah.
0: So uh, in general, though, we're not a very bitey household. Is that correct?
1: No. Right. Bite.
0: Hey. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's the question he had. And I said, I think it's really sad that his mommy went away for that long and his daddy wasn't there. Yeah. And I said uh, he should go and talk to his mommy about that and his daddy about that. But he should also... Go and talk to someone like Mommy to, yeah. to get some help. Yeah. And is there anything else you want to say to him?
1: Um, I think no.
0: No. Okay. Well, thank you, Boo. I will come and call you about the next caller. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Just call me Wildy because I'm going to be downstairs coloring.
0: Okay. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> See you. All right. Well, thank you very much. And bye. bye. Um, bye. No, thank bye.
4: you. Thank you.
0: All right.
6: All right, Phil. All right, thanks. You're up, Phil. Hello Steph, can you hear me? I can. Awesome that your daughter is co-hosting the show. If she inherits your sense wants. of humor, she's If she inherits your sense of humor, she's going to be lethal.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Some some may agree, some may not, but uh, thank you for your thoughts.
6: Yes. So, um, first-time caller, but long-time listener, and I do thank you for your show and thank you for taking my call this morning. <clears throat> so, um, what I wanted to talk about today was I was, I've been listening to your show for about a year, year and a half, and trying to go through all of the episodes, but I don't recall ever hearing you say anything about regret. And um, that's one thing I wanted to talk about today. So, in my current situation, I'm 38, and so 40 is coming up on the horizon, and starting to think very deeply about where I'm at in my life and where I'm going. And regret is something that I've struggled with off and on for. I'd say since my teen years, you know, after you get more experience and you start looking back to see if you made good choices or bad choices. And I just wanted to get your initial thoughts on what you understand regret is and if you think it's useful in all cases or if it's a waste of time to, to uh, dwell too much on the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are two, I think there are two areas of regret that have utility the first area is to change your behavior. So when you have time to change your behavior, then I think that that kind of regret is helpful. It's a course correction. <clears throat> you know, like it's, it's. I mean, we 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 all want to avoid negative feelings, which is why negative feelings exist, right? Because they're a way of correcting our, our behavior, right? So I don't know if you've ever driven and you, you're like, oh, I think I'm past my exit. I feel kind of uneasy or whatever. This is sort of before GPS or whatever. And so... Oh, you get this uneasy feeling, and that's the uneasy feeling is you know stop driving and get some directions, right? So you you want that kind of stuff. When I used to work up north in the woods, you get this uneasy feeling if you can't find your camp and it's getting late. You know, it's it's getting dark. Uh, that uneasy feeling means find the damn camp already, because you know it's minus 20 or whatever. And so the uneasy feeling is is good, is is helpful, um, because we want to stop having that feeling so I think personal and regret is just one of those, those feelings which is I regret something that I have did and, and regret like all emotions are rooted in the past but pointed at the future <laughs> right so there is a time uh, in your life when you can change your behavior based upon regret about the past now if you're 80 and you regret not having children not really a lot you can do Right. I mean, I guess you could try to adopt or something like that, but that would be kind of irresponsible too, right? Now, Leonard Nimoy just got uh, some sort of uh, lung obstruction disease because now he quit smoking apparently like thirty years ago. He's eighty; he's in his early eighties, and he tweeted and said, "Listen, everybody, stop smoking now because it's it's really dangerous, right? And and it's causing him great uh, great difficulties in his life." Mm-hmm. Now his regret—he's not going to. He's not going to quit smoking again, right? So that regret that he's broadcasting is for other people to learn from his lesson, right? Because he quit 30 years ago. He can't go quit again. So the regret that you can tell to other people is a way of helping them. You know, we need, I shouldn't say we need, there is value in people who've whose life has become a disaster. And... It's not like you want people's life to become a disaster, but the reality is certain choices will increase people's risks of disasters. And uh, if if there weren't those empirical disasters, then there'd be no reason to course correct. Like if smokers never got sick, there'd be no reason to quit if you still liked it, right? And so I think personal regret is something that when you're young enough, if you listen to it, it can help change your behavior, right? So you're still young enough to be a dad and all that kind of stuff. So if you had regret about not having kids, I'm just making one up, I don't know, right? If you had regret about not having kids, you're still young enough to change that. Um, whereas if you're 80, you can say to other people or you can write a blog or you can write a book or whatever and say, you know, I regret not having kids and here's why. Here's what you need to think about. It's too late for me, but this can help you, right? going can help younger people to avoid mistakes that I've made. So I think regret is good. Now, what regret can turn into is self-attack, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And self-attack, I just had a call with somebody last night about this. I don't know if it's ever going to be public, so I'll just mention very briefly the, the talk that I had with this fella about self, self-attack. A self-attack is when you take 100% responsibility for the disasters in your life. And the call that I just had with the guy from New Zealand was about looking at the environment of the circumstances which set the dominoes in motion to to crash. And self-attack is when you then take 100% of responsibility for what happens in relationships. Now, that is perfectly fine when you're dealing with inanimate objects, right? You know there's an old phrase or a statement which says, a good carpenter never blames his tools. Well, sure, because if I hit a nail wrong, it's neither the nail's fault nor the hammer's fault, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with inanimate objects, it is sane and healthy to take 100% responsibility for what happens. Mm -hmm. And, like, if I close the document, Without saving it and lose it, then I can't blame the program or the computer or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when you're dealing with inanimate objects, 100% ownership of results is is healthy and sane, right? You don't you don't smash your tennis racket if you hit the ball badly. I mean, you can, but it's just everybody recognizes it's completely immature. Mm. Now, self attack in relationships is when you take 100% responsibility for the negative effects of relationships which you can only do by treating the other people as inanimate objects, by giving yourself free will and making them deterministic, which is why determinism is so often a defense and and part of an elaborate system of self-attack. So when regret turns into self-attack, it's when you assign yourself 100% responsibility for the effects of a relationship, and that can only happen by dehumanizing the other person, by turning the other person into an object or a thing, without choice of free will. In particular, from children to parents, this makes no sense at all because parents are virtually 100% responsible for the quality of relationships with their children because children will simply conform to the parents' expectations in almost all situations. So so does that help uh, at all? So yeah, so the personal regret, good for change. When it's too late for change, you can instruct others, but it's important to look at regret usually as relational,
5: mm-hmm.
0: right? So this guy regrets uh, hitting the woman, but uh, hitting the girl, but... It's, it's a whole series of relationship failures that led up to that and there was a way of understanding that ethically that was different from what he was thinking. Does that, is that a useful context or is there something else you'd like to add to that?
6: <clears throat> yes, there is. There's two other things I wanted to comment on. There was a book I read recently. It was published a couple of years ago. It was called If Only, a very good book written by a psychologist. And so he tries to delve into the, the psychological underpinnings of the two most common types of regrets. One is things that are done and that you can't change and things that are undone that you might still have a chance to do but for some reason you don't do them. And he says that the the regrets that people feel the most strongly about are the ones of things not done because when you've already done something, say if you've offended somebody there's already a sense of closure. So the only thing that you can do is to, um, as you said, treat the person as an inanimate object if I was understanding what you were saying correctly and trying to make atonement To uh, repair the relationship if possible but of course the other person has to um, be willing to meet you halfway and uh, proceed and um, the other thing was about you know with the previous caller from New Zealand is that it didn't seem that he was completely completely aware of his circumstances so that was another question I had about regret where it's uh, you know just listen to all the callers in your show about their childhoods and you know lots of people have issues in their childhoods myself included is the um if you did not know what the what the dysfunction was in your family and how that affected you and if you went to therapy and you found out what the what the problem was but so much time has passed and you're just like damn you know if i had known about this earlier then I could have done X, Y, and Z, or I could have avoided X, Y, and Z. And that was tied into my question of whether regret is useful in that situation. Does that make sense?
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, regret, so you're saying if I'd have known how dysfunctional my family was earlier, then I would have um, not done X, Y, or Z that I regret? Yes. Well, that's still not 100% regret, right? Because... Regret, regret is is when you have made a decision that was against your values that you knew about or you, you chickened out of something that you knew was going to have negative consequences. And again, we, we all do that and there's nothing wrong with, with that. You know, you evaluate it and so on and having regrets is perfectly fine. But what's, I think, different is that if you say, well, if I'd known how dysfunctional my family was, I'd have done better with my decisions. But that still, that your family was dysfunctional and that you even had to figure that out is a huge problem. I would still be more angry than regretful, if that makes any sense. Like I'd have had better relationships in my 20s if my family hadn't been completely screwed up. But the reality is that my family was completely screwed up, which gave me a huge barrier to having functional relationships in my 20s. So I regret not having better relationships in my 20s, but that's somewhat eclipsed by the anger that I had with regards to my family, that I even had to go and spend twenty thousand dollars in two years in therapy to figure this shit out, right? Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. I I also was thinking more in terms of the time that was lost because it took you time to figure that out. But if in the end you figured out what the problem was, you could have avoided further. Problems no, but it's not
0: lost. You know, the the shitty relationships. I shouldn't say they were all shitty. The the less relationships that I had in my 20s, it's not time lost, that was time stolen by dysfunctional adults when I was a child. You know, like if you get stabbed in the side and you have to spend six months recovering, that's not time lost, that's time stolen by whoever stabbed you.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And now I can say, well, I regret that I had to spend six months in therapy or six months recovering from being stabbed in the side I, I regret that, but I'm pretty fucking angry at the person who stabbed me in the side.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And and that everyone else who stood by and applauded, like the stabbed in the side thing, doesn't really relate to family stuff very much at all. Because if you get stabbed in the side, everyone says, "Well, that was really bad," and they don't say, "Well, you have to be friends with the guy who stabbed you," and you have to, you know. But he's your stabber, you know. You got to go to his birthday party, and there's there's Stabbers Day where you've got to give him a nice card, and and you got to call him every week, and right. Mm-hmm. You you get some clarity with regards to people who stab you, but people who beat and abuse you—they're your family, right? So I you know I got a lot of anger at at the amount of bullshit that we have to claw our way through to get the briefest glimpse of moral clarity in this cultural world is sickening. The degree to which society as a whole colludes with child abusers and covers them up. Well, of course, 90% of people in the U.S. Are at least still hitting their children. So it's understandable that they don't want moral clarity brought to these relationships. Otherwise, there'll be a bigger revolution in parenting than there was in marital relations from the 60s to the 80s. But um, so, yeah, I just I sort of wanted to point that out, that, that even if there were problems that arise out of having been abused, I regret those problems for sure. But I still place the blame on the abusers, right?
6: Mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense
0: well I, f- I want to make sure i 'm not hijacking though with my own agenda because you started talking about regret and I started talking about abuse, so maybe i 'm hijacking I want to make sure i don 't do that does this no. Is this anywhere close to <clears throat> to stuff that's useful for you and I to discuss
6: <clears throat> Yes, it's useful, and I wanted to to segue into uh, an issue that's tied with the regret to um, You know, since you always ask people about their childhood, so I want to shed some light on my own perspective, my own situation. Yes, please do. Okay, so I consider myself one of the very fortunate ones that my parents never divorced and they've been together for over 56 years. And um, I don't come from an abusive household because I was never, I mean, I was spanked three times that I know of, one that I remember too that I was told of, but I was never verbally abused. I was never sexually abused or physically abused or anything like that. But I mean, it was a very stable household, but, um, looking back, I do not think that my parents really did too much to prepare me for the real world, we'll say, because they were a little bit too stable. And where I came from was a little bit too stable, kind of working class, and they didn't think too far outside of the box. I mean, the best way that I could illustrate this, my thinking about it was – and the younger v- listeners might not remember this. You, you remember the Peter Gabriel video, Big Time, from the 80s?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, a song about uh, a, a sort of financial predator, shallow, yuppie sociopath.
6: Right, it was. But he talked about the, te- the place where I come from was a small town. They think so small and they use small words that he was trying to get away from that. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt. And I tried mightily to do that but um, I – each time that I tried, I didn't have enough money and so I had to go back home to live with my parents because I didn't know what else to do. Um, It's just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying and failing until I finally – like in my late 20s and my early 30s is when I really started to hit my stride. But then – um, I mean as far as the time stolen, where I really feel this and maybe this is um, – I think this is tied in somewhat is when I was over in South Korea teaching English in the mid-90s is I was there for about a year and a half but then the Asian financial crisis happened. You probably remember that in 1997. Yeah. So I was faced with a choice and my choice was to return back here to the States and try to do something else. But for a couple of years after that, I always had that feeling that – it, the time was stolen. That it kind of forced my hand, that I wanted to stay there, but at the same time, I didn't want to stay there. And then when I came back back here to the States, it was really rough to try to get myself into uh, another groove, like getting into IT. But I got into IT right when the tech bust happened. So that was bad timing. And then when I was in Korea, I was being in the wrong place at the right time. So during my 20s, it was very turbulent career-wise. And I was trying to figure things out. And sometimes I blame my parents thinking that, well, why didn't you tell me about this shit before I went in there? But by the same token, they didn't know. So it's some of it was self-attack because of the way that the, uh, the culture had, has inculcated in people. is that if you fail, it's your fault. It's not that the system works against you, especially nowadays. I mean, is that, does that make any sense?
0: Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a systemic abuse that occurs in the economy. In that, I mean, people, I don't know, I don't want to go off on a rant here, so I'll just keep this very brief. But I get so weary of, not you, but but people in general saying, well, I need help in retraining. You know, the the manufacturing is in decline and, and this is why, like, god damn, you know, I mean, tech changes all the time. There's ups and downs in the tech industry. You didn't see a whole bunch of programmers in the tech crash demanding government subsidies for everything they did. You know, just fucking adapt, you know, just change, you know, Um the, the economy is screwed up, absolutely, completely and totally screwed up. And, you know, I'm incredibly sorry. It, you say bad timing. Uh, I hope that that's with no sense of self-attack. I mean, did the average person know that it was a tech boom to be followed by a crash? I mean, you'd have to be deeply versed in Austrian economics and know the right timing and have privy to all the secret numbers that the Fed keeps from the general public. So it was really uh, you know, functionally impossible. You know, is it possible to know that there was a housing boom? Yeah, some people predicted it, but those people's predictions have been wrong in other areas too. So some people, you know, if I yell out number, you know, red twenty-two, and it's red twenty-two, it's like, whoa, he's one hundred percent right. <laughs> and then I keep going, and my numbers go down, right? So mm-hmm. uh, there are broad general trends to be predicted in the economy, but there's no economic theory that can predict things with specificity. Otherwise, everyone who had that theory would be a bazillionaire and would have all the money in the world, right? So, so uh, yeah, the system is screwed up for sure. I don't think that it's, uh, you know, anything to do with you. I mean, Asian crash, that sucks. You then try and take refuge in IT, which everyone says is the next big thing, and then that crashes, and it's wretched. It's completely a wretched, and uh, I'm, I remember trying to close a big deal in the business world Many years ago, I don't name the company, it was a huge deal. And, you know, we were, uh, you know, we were within a day or two of, of inking this thing and getting started. And uh, then uh, the pilots union went on strike. And uh, it, was all, it was all over. I mean, they, they couldn't make, every, every purchasing decision was on hold and, and this went on for a long time and so on. So, I mean, you can't predict that stuff. It's just stuff, stuff happens. And some people are on the right side and they call themselves talented and some people are on the wrong side and they call themselves unlucky. But, uh, it is just a bunch of random stuff. You know, some people sell their house right before the crash. I happened to sell the company that I co-founded right before the crash. Um, that had nothing to do with any intelligence on my part. Uh, I was just lucky and uh, other people who tried to sell six months later were very unlucky. And, um, what, what can really be said about that. So there is, you know, but, but to me, that's just a lot of anger. I mean, you know, people screwing around with the, with the currency, uh, people screwing around with regulations and so on is, um, is brutal. Uh, and it it is absolutely horrible. You know, there's a scene, I think it's in airplane. It's an old comedy movie. There's a scene where all these people are in an airport and they've got all this luggage and over the loudspeaker says, you know, the flight to Cincinnati has been moved to gate A4, gate A4. And they're all like, oh, oh and they all start it. running. <laughs> yeah, they all start running towards gate A4, right? And then it's like the flight to Cincinnati has been moved to C19, C19. And, oh, and they all start streaming the other way. And this is basically what people are doing. They're just trying to follow the bouncing ball of economic hysteria called the modern economy. And sometimes they ride it and sometimes they get squished. And some people get repetitively squished and some people repetitively ride it just by accident. And uh, I am pissed off at the system as a whole and how ridiculously impossible it is to plan for anything. Uh, It literally is like trying to play chess with some guy screaming rule changes in your ear every 30 seconds. I mean, good luck, right? Some people might win, some people might lose, but nobody knows what the hell they're doing.
6: Yeah, that, um, so... When I first encountered some of that, and I was ignorant of Austrian economics and that kind of thing back in the day, but my default was just to to withdraw. And um, it was a conscious choice. It said everything is just too unstable that I can't predict. So I'm not even going to try that hard and try to... um, to cut my expenses and live as frugally as I possibly could. But by the same token, I think I went a little bit too far and that I was cutting people off, pushing them away. It's because I kind of found them unstable as well. You know, Again, in listening to your callers from the past, some of the situations they got in, especially like the, the guy from New Zealand, it's just like, wow, he, he really dodged a bullet on that one. I mean, if he... If he's not scared shitless because of that, if he reflects on that, then I don't know what what I could say about him.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, again, again, but you're looking, you know, but you're looking. Sorry, just just to help you with perspective, at least my perspective, whether it's true or not, you could decide. But it's not. He's not. See, we have this tendency to 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 look at. Well, if he's not scared shitless and so on, like he's just got that choice, right? Everyone around him who contributed to the crisis has a massive incentive to prevent him from being scared shitless because then they feel terrible, right? So he's part of a system which demands that he minimize and laugh about what happened to him. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's a lot like, especially because he's, I don't know how old he is, but he's obviously pretty young still. It's sort of like saying, well, you know, people in Stalinist Russia, they just weren't entrepreneurial. It's like, well, they were part of a system that if you're entrepreneurial, you get thrown in a gulag, Right. And so, uh, you know, the 40% of Ukraine's economy is black or gray market. It's like, well, I guess they are just like operating outside the law, don't they? Bunch of (laughs) profiteers and shady. It's like, no, they're just, they're punished by regulations and ridiculous taxation and corruption if they try to operate above the, like, above the, quote, law. And so people are part of a system. And and I really try to resist, particularly when people are young, giving them, you know, 100% responsibility when they're usually part of a system as a whole, if that makes any sense.
6: Mm-hmm. It does. But it takes some time to realize what kind of a system they're in. Um, you know, that, that, that's what happened to me is that over time when these experiences started happening and the, the net at the time wasn't like it is now. I remember – you know, going back to my Korean example where I was really trying to steel myself against being taken advantage of because I had heard some horror stories of people that were over there where they, um, they had their pay held. They had their passports held to prevent them from leaving the country and some pretty shady operations. So what I did was I threw myself into a whole a lot of research to try to prevent any kind of uh, exploitation – and be at a a level where I could bargain a little better. And I think I did that quite well, even though I left the country afterwards. But that was just, again, the, the situation forcing my hand. But it's that, um, you know, the withdrawing, as I was saying before, is you go into like survival mode. And I don't think that's healthy over the long term, because you think everything is just so unstable that you can't trust anybody. I don't, I don't like to be in that position. I've been in that before, and I think I've mellowed out over time, and I'm with some good people now, but I don't know what to do. I mean, if I could go back and talk to my 21- to 22-year-old self and tell them what to do, I don't know what I would say.
0: <clears throat> right. Well, you'd, you'd give him the hindsight that is impossible to have ahead of time. You know, get out of Asia here. <laughs> don't go into the tech market. Go into something, whatever, right? I mean, it's all impossible to know. Now, I mean, my particular approach has been to continually move towards the mecca of as much freedom as possible, right? So, you know, I started off being an employee, which wasn't particularly liberating, and then I moved into being an entrepreneur, which was more freeing in many ways, but I still had to deal with a lot of regulations, a lot of taxation, a lot of governments and so on, a lot of government uh, entities. And then I moved to podcasting, which is much more free. And I don't deal with government entities. I choose the topics of the shows and I can do as many or as few shows as I want. And I accept all the consequences of all my decisions. So for me just moving more towards, I just, I don't like dealing with organizations of any kind. You know, should I try and get a book published through a publisher? God, no. Why? Why bother? I can make my books available for free. So so much better. And so I really would strongly urge you to look in areas of the economy where there are fewer restrictions, fewer controls. I mean, God, imagine trying to open a manufacturing plant in the United States these days, or a nuclear power plant or a mine or I mean, you name it, right? I mean they can't even get a pipeline sorted out. this um, ex- was it pipeline has been going on for years and years. They can't even drill in the wilderness of the Arctic because apparently the needs of three caribou far outweigh funding a tyrannical dictatorship like most of the Middle Eastern countries. So uh, this is, uh, there are areas that you can go into where you can freelance and make money in a legal, perfectly legal way, but with less, um, with fewer interactions with controlling organizations. And that's, you know, been my urge. I mean, God, I mean, I started my show, what, six months before the biggest economic crash in the Western world in 60 years, uh, which is still continuing to this day. Uh, what a terrible time to be an entrepreneur. But in many ways, I have less risk now than I did when, when I was an employee. Because at least my income is dispersed, right? I mean, worldwide. It's concentrated in some areas, but it's sort of dispersed. So that would be my suggestion, to keep your eyes peeled for where there is still uh, some remnants of of free free interactions that are available to you.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do myself because uh, currently I work for the government and I'm trying to get over to – it's a step-by-step process. So leaving the government, that's priority one. Going to the private sector is – the second priority, but going to the private sector where I can work remotely, so that way I don't have to go into an office like I do all the time, and beefing up my skill set to where at some point in the next couple of years, where I can be almost completely remote, so that way I'm not tied to a particular geographical area. It's a challenge, but that's that's what my long term goals are.
0: Yeah, and I think I think those are good things to do. Like once you've been like we're all in a boxing ring with the state, blindfolded. Right, and after a while, you're like, "Damn, I'm tired of ducking stuff that I can't see coming." So I think I'm just getting out of the ring. And I got, uh, I got pretty tired, tired of it all. I mean, the amount of regulations and controls when you are an entrepreneur, and the amount of legal risk that you have, and I mean, it's, it's just horrendous. So uh, yeah, not, uh, not for me.
6: But, Seth, I have a question about the difference between uh, – because I remember you mentioning in the previous shows that you were kind of entrepreneurial when you did the show. So how do you draw the distinction between when you were an entrepreneur and what you do now as a podcaster?
0: Well, I mean it's still entrepreneurial. What I'm doing now is more entrepreneurial than what I was doing before. And, I mean, it's – you know, the, my product is it's self-generated now, whereas before I was part of a team, right? I mean – I was a programmer originally and, you know, coded what the business requirements were that came in from other people and from the clients and so on. So uh, I I was, um, now I'm like the whole product guy, right? Uh, It's a no compromises show. And uh, I am, you know, sole product guy. So it's still entrepreneur. I would say it's more entrepreneurial now than it was before. But I guess I just thought of myself for a while as a podcaster, but I did sort of recognize that it's uh, more entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurs, they sort of have a goal, I guess, you know, a lot of them of, you know, build a business and sell the business. Well, I can't sell the business. I guess I could sell portions of the revenue stream, but uh, I can't sell the business because I am the business. Well, actually, I could sell the business because this, this show will generate revenue for another hundred years, even if I stop doing any shows tomorrow, because people will still be listening to the shows in the future, right? Like they're not making any more Friends episodes, but Friends is still making money, right? Because it's syndication and so on, right? So, um, so there were, but I mean, it's so it was a bit out of the box as far as entrepreneurial stuff that I've been experienced in before. Uh, but So it took me a little while to get that, but I think that's what it is.
6: Okay, that makes sense. Can I bring up one other, one other topic if we have time?
0: Um,
6: we do have a lot of callers.
0: Uh, so if you could hold off till next time, I would appreciate that uh, just because otherwise we're going to have another four-hour show. Which is a bit tough on the old bladder, but um, I do appreciate your call in, and um, I certainly wish you the best. And I'm sorry again that this is the kind of environment that we all have to live in. Uh, it's uh, it is it is pretty rough for sure, and I'm sorry about that.
6: Yeah, well, it's is it's a long term thing, and is I like the model that you that you prescribe is that if you can work towards more freedom, which it took me a while to get to the point where I can consider myself an employee because things were so checkered when I was in my twenties, just lots of things. So I really had to get over the the sense of not quote unquote making it versus somebody who maybe enge- majored in engineering and they got a job when they were in their early 20s. So that way they experienced what it was like to be an employee early on. And then they decided to be an entrepreneur and then moving in that direction. So for me, it was a little late. And that was another thing that I had to get over to is the feeling of being like a late bloomer, or maybe being a late bloomer is not just a bad thing. It's just there's no timeline when somebody does it. I mean, there was an article I remember reading from Malcolm Gladwell when he talked about late bloomers, and he profiled Picasso versus Cezanne. Picasso blossomed early, and the market rewards that, but Cezanne took a long time before he finally got to that point. But by the, along the way, he had a lot of support.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, the blossomed early or late. I don't know. I mean, I think the things of quality just come later. And, you know, you you really, obviously, I mean, I don't know if you know the man's history or not, but you don't want to be at all envious of Picasso.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the man was a complete human monster. And uh, you can just look up uh, Picasso abuse. Uh, I mean, he was like as, as monstrous a human being as you could possibly imagine. So um, I would uh, be beware the famous. There's usually a reason why they're famous. Anybody who's famous... And not particularly controversial in a dysfunctional society is somebody feeding that dysfunction. So, um, all right. So, we can move on to the next caller. Thank you so much. Uh, sure. Who's up next? Thank you, Steph. All right, Jason, you're next. Go ahead. Hello. Hi, Jason.
2: Hi, Stefan. Thanks for taking my call, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I just wanted to to briefly talk about um, uh, some authority issues that I'm having and uh, just some kind of. <laughs> family issues that are kind of returning to haunt me um i i grew up uh in a divorced family my my folks divorced uh early and i think my authority issues might be stemming from this i'm i'm not quite sure but i'd like to find out what you think all right um i i have a. Uh, Two children, myself, and and I don't want to repeat the same mistakes that my that my folks made. And um, I've kind of watched my family kind of get chewed by the system. And uh, there's been quite a bit of turmoil and alcohol abuse. Chewed how? And, by what system? Well, just uh, in general, the the um, uh, the state can be can be kind of hard on people, as you know. And um, yeah, I've just seen uh, a lot of alcohol abuse and um. It continues to this day, and i've I've confronted my family about it and uh wait wait and, sorry and
0: if you're talking about alcohol abuse, how is that the system?
2: well, I mean I think they they're kind of synonymous alcohol abuse and and uh and you know perhaps slavery these, like, these kind of things go hand in hand i think and uh
0: Ooh, um, you you say this like that's obvious uh, it's not obvious to me i'm you know you could well be right but it's not obvious to me that, I mean, lots of people are alcoholics who weren't slaves, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to make excuses for people, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it's important um, at some point uh, that my, my family um, address the, the issue of alcoholism and, and what it does to families and and perhaps maybe get some intervention or... or um, show some, some, some care, uh, because there's, there hasn't really been much, uh, in the way of, of a relationship between the grandparents and the grandkids. And, uh, they seem kind of, uh, distant and, and I think, I think kids need grandparents, you know, I think kids need wise elders and and strong community and.
0: Well, hang on, hang on. I agree with you that kids need wise elders. That doesn't always be grandparents though, right? I mean, lots of grandparents, As the old saying goes, as the fool said to King Lear, thou shouldst not have been old before thou were wise, right? So uh, I I think grandparents is a category that doesn't have any moral content. Wise elders is a category that does. And I wouldn't want the two to be the same.
2: Right, right. Because they're not, right? Yes, in some cases, that's certainly true. Um, So, yeah, I I think... um, that being said, um, it's it it might be my mistake to to ascribe these uh, these qualities to people that that kind of don't have the qualities, and maybe it's it's my issue uh, alone that uh, to expect them to to be more involved or be more interested in in uh, in the grandkids, in, in in the future, you know.
0: Right. So what is uh, what is it specifically that that you'd like to talk about? I mean, so you have a wish that people who are alcoholics should seek treatment and how long have they been alcoholics for?
2: Well, since, uh, since I can remember, um, it's, so decades, it's been right? decades of, of, of alcoholism and it, it's, it's, it's quite destructive. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think alcohol itself is, is a real problem if it's used moderately or whatever. I, I personally don't like to use it. I don't get much from it, but, um, I see the damage it does and and I, I don't know, is there, is there a way to, to approach people without, um, getting uh, a serious backlash? I've tried, uh, numerous times recently, uh, to, you know, bring the family together and, and maybe, uh, create some stronger bonds and, and, um, it's just, I, I, I don't, I don't get much, uh, but resistance.
0: Right. Which is important information for you to have, right? I'm very sorry that that's the information that you have, but that is the information that your family is giving you, right? mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the toughest things to do is to be an empiricist. You know, because empiricism goes against wish fulfillment. It goes against fantasy, right? mm mm-hmm. Right? So, oh, you think you're a good singer? Okay, Record it and play it back to yourself. Right? <laughs> that's how you sound now. For Freddie Mercury, yay! You know, for other people, ooh, <laughs> that's not yeah. quite how it sounds in my head. Right? Yeah. Empiricism yeah. is is very tough. Right? Do you think this woman will go out with you? Well, ask her and find out. Right? And we we endless movies and stories about the guy pining after the woman and not asking her out because he doesn't he wants the fantasy he doesn't want the empirical evidence right mm-hmm. and yeah. it, being an empiricist is is very hard because we yearn for the wish fulfillment of fantasy and empiricism you know slaps that upside the head repeatedly and that is very very tough yeah i mean i wanted to be a novelist jeez philosophical podcaster wasn't even on my list wasn't even on my bucket list. I wanted to be a novelist and a playwright. I wrote some plays, produced some plays, wrote some novels, tried to sell the novels. The empirical evidence said that this was not economically at least a very valuable use of my time. And so I kept morphing to try and find, right, whereas if I'd written the books and said, oh, they're great books. Well, actually, I I still think they're great books, but I can understand now why the culture doesn't want to sell them. And so, the, But the reality is that that's just that's the empirical evidence. You know, like I had a call, last call-in show, a guy was talking about what what he's worth, like some abstract thing, like he's being underpaid or something. But there's no such thing. Being underpaid is a fantasy that flies in the face of empiricism. Somebody's willing to pay you that much, and you're willing to accept it. That's what you're worth. Right? There's no, right? And this, this fantasy of perfection. You know, I, I, I could be with... Like, I remember watching a movie, it's a pretty confusing movie, called The Fisher King, with Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. And there's a scene in it where there's this gorgeous blonde woman reading Nietzsche. And I remember as a kid, I was as a kid, a young man, saying, like, wow, a gorgeous woman who reads Nietzsche. That's what I want. Because it's a fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, not that there can't be gorgeous women who read Nietzsche, but... To, to say, I'm not going to date until I find that person, probably not too realistic, right? And the the fantasy of idealization is extremely dangerous. It, it is a form of paralysis. Yeah. You know, it's a form of paralysis. It, it literally is like seeing a tsunami rush towards you and pretending to be Moses. Well, you're just going to get drowned, right? Yeah. And you have empirical evidence about your family. I think it's tragic evidence. But in your mind, there's probably some sequence of words that can change your family into something else. Even if you were to solve the problem of alcoholism tomorrow, you still have decades of dysfunction in history, which is going to completely affect the relationship. Plus, the alcoholism has had effects on the brains, on the livers, on the entire health systems of the alcoholics, which is also going to have effects, right?
2: Yeah, I'm concerned that you know, I, I, one day I will be um, probably having to take care of, of my folks uh, in some respect, and and uh, I, I don't, know. I, I see it as a kind of very, very grave, kind of costly errors. No, but errors. sorry,
0: why why would you have to take care of them?
2: Well, I, I don't know. I feel kind of a sense of, of obligation. Um, you know, my folks did, I guess, what, whatever they could. They, they put my grandparents in uh, nursing homes and stuff. And I guess, you know, these kind of things come up. I, I watched one of your shows about um, the baby boomers and, and where the finances are going to be in terms of their social security. And and it, it yeah, seems look, kind of I'm, dismal. Look, look, don't, don't
0: get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of your parents or anything like that. But just assuming it's an automatic obligation, right? There are no unchosen positive obligations, right? Mm-hmm. If you choose to enter into a contract, then you are liable, right? And it's a chosen, right? Parents mm-hmm. choose to have children. Children do not choose their parents. That is why you can impose moral obligations on parents, but not on children. Right. Right?
2: Well, this is what and I'm so trying to do. If, I, I, I've imposed sorry, these moral obligations on them, and... I, I I become kind of the black sheep, in a sense, and uh, it it doesn't seem like any kind of worthwhile conversation is is going to happen with 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 any of my extended family. Should I just put it to rest, or should I I don't know. i it's it's kind of something I obsess about
0: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I don't know what you should do because you and know, we're just talking for the first time, and even if we were talking for the five hundredth time, I would not be comfortable telling you what to do. I mean, I don't think there's any value in that. That's like me playing the guitar and thinking you're learning something, right? You might be enjoying the guitar, but you ain't learning how to play, right? you got to play the guitar to learn how to do it. And, but I, you know, some context would be that the best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. If you want to know whether someone has, will be an alcoholic tomorrow, look at how long they've been an alcoholic right Every, when somebody continues with an addiction, then it becomes progressively less likely that they're going to break that addiction's hold, right because habits are you know they, as the Spanish proverb goes, they start as cobwebs and end up as chains, right? Easy to break at the beginning, hard to break later. Yeah, can not really one of the things that, that happens tricks. particularly with hang on, one of the things that happens particularly with alcoholism, as far as I understand it, from you my usual amateur perspective. Is that alcoholism prevents the development of social and coping skills, because the social and coping skills are called alcoholism, right? So alcoholism, some people medic use it to self-medicate for anxiety, but they're not learning how to deal with their anxiety. They're just burying it in alcohol. And I guess setting fire to it with alcohol or something is probably a better metaphor, <laughs> but <laughs> and so if somebody's been an alcohol alcoholic for 30 or 40 years, they spent 30 or 40 years not Knowing how to deal with their emotions, not knowing how to interact with people in a positive way, not dealing with the trauma, and now alcohol and those habits harm the areas of the brain, which would lead them to want to quit alcohol. Right. So, and this is Gabor Mate talks about this: how one of the great tragedies of addiction is that the part of you that would change is the first part to be harmed by addiction.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, there's a coping strategy which involves not changing and continuing to be an alcoholic. And the part of you that would say, being an alcoholic is bad, I need to change, is one of the first things to go when you become an alcoholic, right? It doesn't mean change is impossible, but usually change will then only occur when somebody can't initiate it internally. Change will then only occur when a true catastrophe is achieved, right? When, when some absolute health scare or disaster or, you know, my wife left me, I've lost the house, you know, whatever, I'm sitting in a ditch under a bridge, then somebody might change. You know, it's the old, if you don't learn by reason, you have to learn by empiricism and you know that famous you know you hit bottom and then you change right if you don't change based on right so and and the more people who are around supporting the alcoholics and enabling the alcoholics the less likely they are to hit bottom which may Mm -hmm. be their only chance of change so with regards to your grandparents who if I understand it correctly have been alcoholics for decades uh, I personally myself I would not hold that hope of change i think we have to accept i would i would say to myself look i i have to get out of wishland i have to get out of fantasy land uh, fantasy is is isolating fantasy is dangerous fantasy pollutes my own decision making capacity fantasy alienates me from other people fantasy only makes me compatible with other people who are delusional and therefore keeps honest truth speakers away from me and only surrounds me with people who will echo back the delusions that I need or rather that other people need our fantasies generally serve people who are irrational around us at our expense yeah and if there is care for people with addictions then refusing to support them can be very helpful I mean it might get them into treatment it might you know get them to change and, and if not supporting alcoholics doesn't get them to change, then being around them and, and continuing to support them is certainly not going to get them to change, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that I would simply, as I do in general, try to strive to stay away from illusion, right? I mean, think of how toxic illusion is, right? The, the soldiers are different from other people who kill. Well, that's just an illusion. The police are there to protect you. Well, that's just another illusion. The government is there to help you. Well, that's just another illusion, Democracy is virtuous. It's just another illusion. The welfare state helps the poor. I mean, the amount of harm that is done by delusions, let alone if I do this, I'll get 72 virgins and get into heaven or whatever, right? If I pay off this guy in the funny hat, I'll be freed from a curse that he put on me himself. I mean, the, the amount of illusions and delusions that harm the planet and harm the species is almost beyond counting. And I can't change everybody else's addiction to illusion but i certainly as hell can I, I can confront my own and i think a, a very hard-nosed acceptance of empiricism is the basis of the scientific method if you have a theory that is contradicted by reality your theory fails your theory must be thrown out and you have decades of empirical evidence with regards to your family and you have a thesis with regards to your family but the empirical evidence must hold sway if we are to be considered rational at all does that make any sense
2: Perfectly, yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I wonder if um, if there's any value in holding uh, these people accountable, because I see my my parents almost like acting the way uh, a government would, where we we're in a, either a nanny state that's being irresponsible, or we're in some kind of uh, dystopia that needs to be addressed. And and I, I wonder, is it worthwhile addressing it, or is it something? Uh, that's, you know we're just barking up the wrong tree altogether and should just focus on on the youth
0: well i mean to 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 cure multi-decade alcoholism is far beyond your powers far beyond my powers right i mean that would require significant medical intervention to say the least right mm, yeah I mean, the DTs are pretty brutal. And you cannot, you know, the old thing, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You can state your case that you find the alcoholism upsetting and disturbing and alienating. You can't have a relationship with addicts because their primary relationship is with the addiction, right? And everything must serve the addiction.
2: Yeah, and I think the addiction kind of come from the divorce. Like um, after Comes the divorce... Where? From divorce. Um when my parents divorce, the, the drinking starts and I no, think it's no, kind no, of no. comes no, come from.
0: Come on, come on. There, there, there's triggering events, but that's not the cause. Because the if 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 alcoholism comes from the divorce, then the vast majority of people who are divorced would be alcoholics, right?
2: Right. I I see some self loathing and, and self harm and, and I wonder what is the source of it? Uh, how how is uh
0: early childhood. The, Almost certainly. Hmm. Right. I mean, I just did a presentation, The, the Truth About Addiction, and mm-hmm. uh, you, again, don't take my word as gospel. I'm just, I'm just a collator of other people's information for a lot of these things, and people get upset with me and just look at the sources, right? But I would mm-hmm. have a look at that, and it talks about how uh, alcoholism is uh, a, a form, or most addictions are a form of self-medication for early childhood trauma that results in brain or physiological dysfunction. So uh, I would look into that. Uh, and then traumatic events can be the catalyst, but they're not the cause, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. The multi-generational effects of it are, are quite astounding me right now. Um, obviously, you, like you said, we're not going to be able to remedy the problem of alcoholism or get rid of alcohol altogether. Um, and I think ultimately people are responsible for their choices with alcohol. I don't think alcohol is inherently evil and dangerous it's it's how it's used it's like a gun or you know a knife or fat food or whatever it can be used or misused but uh yeah i, I in terms of uh, how my family has handled um their lives and their wealth and and their um their relationship uh to us and and to the next of kin uh, i find it very distressing and um i wouldn't call it post-traumatic stress but it, it's something that uh you know, I've, I've woken up with dreams of and wondered, oh, God, like, are we going to make it as a species? <laughs> and, yeah, right. I just uh, I wonder if uh, if there's any hope for uh, for the, you know, the state and, and people that that really want uh, a free world. Um, it's it's quite amazing.
0: Well, I mean, you know, the best way to encourage yourself about people's capacity to reach the truth is to reach the truth yourself. Yeah, right. If, if you want, yeah, if, if you despair about people's ability to reach the truth, it's almost certainly I would argue because you're rejecting an essential truth in your own life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, well we yeah. don't have any hope as a species because even I am willing to reject the truth for the sake of immediate emotional comfort and the needs of irrational people around me, right?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I I constantly lie to myself. I mean, uh, most people do. I, I find uh, truth is is uh, can be a hard well, pill stop. to swallow. Well, stop that.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah. stop that, right? Because that's, that's, that's an addiction that comes from the addictions of those around you, right? I mean, the reason that you lie to yourself is because the truth is painful to those around you. You're lying for other people, fundamentally. We benefit from the truth. Irrational people benefit from us lying to ourselves or attacking ourselves or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, stop enabling. serving the needs of irrational people and pursue the truth at any cost. Uh, otherwise their addictions are causing you to separate yourself from your greatest values and virtues, mm-hmm. of which truth is the necessary prerequisite, right?
2: And I wonder what the ramifications of that are. Like when I when I have uh, my my wife, my two children with me, and I do really pursue uh a freedom-based lifestyle. There are real um, hard limits and, and ramifications to living in a state, but pursuing a, a, a kind of a sovereign stance. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, hang on, on a that? sec,
0: because I think we're talking kind of abstract. Do your kids? Are they around their grandparents?
2: Well, no, um, we we don't. We haven't seen them in years. Right. We'd like to. Yeah, no, I'd I'd like you like can't have, have kids around
0: drunk people, of course, right?
2: It's it becomes very difficult and and um, yeah,
0: right. And I'm very sorry for that. I mean, grandparents are enormously helpful. I think in in life, if they are the elder wise people that you mentioned early, but you know, if that's not what the hand of fate dealt you, that's not what the hand of fate dealt you. And I'm very sorry for that. That's that's pretty tragic. Yeah. Um, now, if you don't have another specific question, I would like to move on to the next caller just to make sure if we can finally get through the roster of one <laughs> set of people in in a call. Is that all right with you?
2: Sure, that's fine, man. Thanks for taking the time.
0: You're very welcome. All right, Cole. You're up, Cole. Go ahead.
7: Hey, Steph. Uh, it's a great honor to be talking to you. I've got a couple questions well, thank for you, you. I today. Hope,
0: uh, I hope I don't disappoint. That's, uh, that's a high lead-in. <laughs> let, me, let me get my big girl panties on, and I'm ready to talk.
7: <laughs> okay. Uh, so... I have a question concerning the environment in an anarchical cool society, like national parks and such. How would they be dealt with? What's to stop, say, a uh, large, evil, big corporation to come and destroy it all?
0: Well, I mean, do you care about there being national parks? I do. Good. So then you would contribute money if you could or labor if you had no money to um, to maintain – the parks, right? Right. So there would be a clear ownership and title of the parks uh, run by whatever community group, and it could be for profit, it could be not for profit. Whatever community group found it important for there to be parks, well, which we can assume is the majority of people because they're voted for in a democracy, and, and if anybody said, let's sell off the national parks to timber companies, people would go insane, right? And so we know that people will contribute to the maintenance of national parks. And uh, so... The, the parks would be owned, and nobody would be able to go in and uh, trash them.
7: And then what about things like, uh, say, pollution? I mean, I've read your uh, book Practical Anarchy, and they talk about you talk about pollution insurance. Right. Uh, I don't know. Never mind.
0: So I've got another no, question. No, no, that's fine. I mean, so the pollution insurance, for those who don't know, is one possible way it could work is I just buy – Pollution insurance, which means that if my – if the air around my – if the air on my property or around my house gets polluted, then a pollution company pays me $10 million with which I can move to some location that suits me better, in which case a whole bunch of – well, the company is going to have massive incentives to make sure my air doesn't get polluted. Uh, And there's a number of ways they can resolve that, which I talk about in the book. So that's one possible way that it could work. But sorry. Go ahead.
7: Okay. And then uh, I also have a question about dispute resolution organizations. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
7: I mean – I mean, they are an insurance policy, essentially, right?
0: Well, they're insurance, but dispute resolution is – insurance is part of that, but uh, also it's contract resolution too, right, which is not quite the same as insurance, although it may have insurance elements.
7: We talk about that. There's going to be no taxes that you would have uh, much more disposable income, but wouldn't most of the stuff that you – or the money that you sent to taxes would go to uh, keeping your contract with the uh, DRO?
0: You mean – well, it's certainly it's, it's not the same as attacks, right? Because right. they cannot initiate the use of force it's, it's, against you.
7: It's voluntary.
0: Yeah, it's voluntary. It's competitive uh, and so on. So you, they cannot initiate the use of force against you. The worst thing that they can do is they can attempt to urge other people not to do business with you, which is not the initiation of the use of force, right? If I tell some woman, don't date this lunatic, uh, I'm not initiating force. He may find it offensive or whatever, but I'm not initiating force against Yeah. Against that person. So it's not it's not the same as a tax. I certainly don't believe that the fees for a DRO would even remotely close to uh, the fees, in, in the tax fees. Uh, because, I mean, for a wide variety of reasons, uh, first of all, DROs would be about prevention, and governments are generally about cure. And cure is far more expensive than prevention. Uh, secondly, the overhead in the welfare state is like 80% of the money goes to bureaucrats and politicians and all that kind of crap, and very little of it goes to the poor. Whereas, of course, a free market charity, the ratio is usually reversed, if I remember my figures correctly. 80% of the money goes to the poor, and 20% of the money goes to the overhead. So you have, you know, what, a five times reduction in in price there. And, you know, the military-industrial complex is ridiculously expensive. A free society would never find enough people to fund 700-plus military bases overseas. It It would say, no, thank you. And uh, so there's a, wi- a wide variety of mechanisms would occur. And, of course, DROs, through their drive to keep their prices low, would continually seek to improve childhood. Because improved childhood is, is v- vastly reduces the costs of dysfunction within society. And so people would probably want insurance for their children's behavior. So if their children did something egregious or something even accidental that caused harm to others, they'd want to be insured against that. And in order to give the lowest possible insurance rates, DROs would be funding research into best parenting practices, and they would make sure then the parents followed best, pra- best parenting practices. And if they did, then they would get vastly reduced rates, which would be a massive incentive for society. I mean, the co- the costs of bad parenting are socialized at the moment, right? The costs of bad parenting should accu- should accrue to the parents. And at the moment, they don't. And uh, this is, of course, a fundamental economic mismatch, you know, where... Where reason and virtue fail, economic incentive succeeds. And uh, in general, economic incentive is far more important than virtue, which is why you tend to get better service at Walmart than you do at the Department of Motor Vehicles. And so uh, in, in a free society, there is a massive incentive to reduce the cost of dysfunction, which does not exist in a state of society. In fact, the state profits from dysfunction to a large degree. You know, dysfunction creates criminals with which... The state can justify police. Dysfunction also creates people willing to serve as police officers and prison guards and uh, soldiers and and the sociopaths known as politicians and so on. So dysfunction is beneficial to the state, whereas dysfunctional is, is not beneficial. In fact, it's extremely costly for a free market, which is why a free market will focus so much on uh, the improvements uh, possible in parenting to produce a, a truly peaceful world.
7: Yeah, I mean, I get, whenever I'm at school, I get the no government means we're all going to die argument, right?
0: Well, it's not really an argument, yeah, <laughs> right, to be precise. A, it's more of a, a fear-mongering. Yeah, right? of a, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's about as much an argument as an axe commercial, you know? Like, if you don't <laughs> buy axe, then, you know, naked bikini babes won't drape themselves over your genitals, right? So, I mean, it's not right. an argument, right? It's a,
7: Yeah, it's fear-mongering.
0: You know... Buy these glasses, and you'll look like this model wearing these glasses. No, <laughs> no, uh, no, you won't, right? Right. You know, like the if you uh, if you drink this beer, you'll have a six pack like this guy at the pool. Well, no, if you look well, at well, you have beer, six drinks, pack of beer. Yeah, they have a one pack, right? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have a six pack; they have a keg, right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, these aren't arguments at all. And anyone who says that, it's like, well, you know, you don't, you don't really know what it is to have an argument. It's exactly the same as saying, pay me. This money, or my God, will send you to hell. I mean, it's not an argument; it's actually just a threat, right? It's just a shakedown.
7: Yeah. So that brings me to another question: Is how would I argue like such a uh, a thing or a point in a totally brainwashed public school room of death?
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. in my I think I have a box. name for my new public school. Um, <laughs> look, uh, well, yeah, in, uh, it's tough. Our- yeah, no, it's it's tough. Um, well, I mean, when you're choosing people for your soccer team, you would try to choose people with legs, right?
7: Right. You don't want the guy in the wheelchair.
0: You don't want, yeah, well, you might, maybe he'd be all right, you know, as a goalie. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> you don't, you don't want the guy, you know, who's 400 pounds to be your forward striker, right? Right. So when you're choosing people to debate with, you know, have some discretion. You know, find out if they're even remotely capable of thought before you grace them with your intellect, right? Right. You know, before I try and have a debate with someone, it's important for me to know if they speak English. Yeah. Because I don't speak any other languages that aren't computer-based, and therefore we're not going to have a very productive debate if that person doesn't speak English. And if they don't speak reason and evidence, we may have an instructive debate. In other words, this is what happens with people who don't speak reason and evidence. But... It would not be something I would, I would do it sort of a show thing. If it was a private conversation with someone who didn't speak reason and evidence, I wouldn't bother. I don't mind a public one to show just where reason, like where an inattention to reason and evidence leads you. But I would not have a private conversation with uh, someone like that. So recognize that your intellect is a rare gift. I mean, I know in high school, it's not nearly as good as gift as being tall and athletic and having clear skin. But it it is, it's a great gift. And uh, just about everyone on the planet should be supremely grateful for people of high intelligence, for providing them with shit that they could never invent or discover themselves. You know, like the free market, like cell phones, like uh, computers, the internet, microphones, you name it, right? People of average intelligence use this shit, but they don't make this stuff. They don't come up with it. And like all people who are dependent on those of higher intelligence, to some degree, they are resentful because they're not smart enough to to, to be mature about it and to be grateful. You know, I don't sing as well as Sting, but I'm sure glad that he's a great singer because I like his music, or I guess I used to, right? So whereas an immature person will be resentful of Sting's singing voice and songwriting, or at least prior songwriting abilities and so on. So recognize that your intellect and your commitment to truth is a rare gift, And it it is a form of inner beauty. And we all know that beautiful women are always trying to attract the alpha male in general, yet they have the problem in that they attract more than the alpha male, who they then have to reject a lot. So being a very attractive woman is a lot about rejecting people, which is why they have to have this cold exterior and be beautiful but intimidating and all that, you know, all the normal stuff, right? And uh, I I sort of view philosophy as a, a beautiful spirit, a beautiful mind, a beautiful soul, whatever you want to call it, a beautiful being. And, you know, it's okay to be haughty, right? Like, so, you know, it's what I said to the guy in the last show who was arguing all sorts of nonsense. I just said, look, you're, you're just not very good at this. You don't even know what an argument is. You know, like, I'm sorry you can't be in your orchestra because you can bang two rocks together. It does not make you a drummer. <laughs> like, I, I hate, you know, I hate to be honest about your limitations, but you're kind of forcing me to be honest about your limitations. Yeah. You know, if my daughter randomly bangs her xylophone and says, "Is that pretty?" I will say, "No, it's not pretty to me. It's not even music. It's just random banging." You know, if you like it, fine, go ahead, make the noise. But it's not pretty, not music. You can play a play a tune, yes. You know, that's you know, but this random banging. You know, she was quite surprised. You know, what do you mean? It's like no, it's a bang. If I said, if I sing this, bing 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 bing, not only if I come up with the chorus to a Philip Glass opera and a fair amount of Chinese opera, but I'm not breaking anything pretty there. That's, it's not even scat. It's just random notes, right? So, you know, it's okay to be haughty. You know, don't, don't, uh, you don't, you know, you don't have to screw everything that moves mentally, right? You, you can, because, you know, a lot of social diseases come out of bad brains, right? right? Frustration, irrationality, despair, like a lot of people will try and lure you into debates to make you despair for the human race, right? And, uh, you know, avoid those people, um, you know, on, only, only be in an orchestra with people who can play their instruments is kind of what I'm saying. And uh, if people have no idea how to think, I, I wouldn't bother debating with them at all. And if they come up with stuff like if there's no government, we're all going to die. Yeah. Well, you can just say, well, why do you think that? Oh, I don't know. It just seems right to me. It's Like, okay, so you don't know that you're – do you know that you're not making an argument? What do you mean I'm not making an argument? I just told you what I feel. Uh, okay. So you're banging two rocks together. And you want to do a drum solo in Madison Square Gardens. So, no. Maybe you bang enough two rocks together, you can light a spark. <laughs> but you can't do a drum solo in Madison Square Gardens. You cannot You cannot step in for Neil Peart uh, if you can only bang two rocks randomly together. So, uh, so yeah. Just find out if they can think. And if they can't think, then, you know, okay, well, I'm sorry. I can't, can't debate with you because you don't know how to think. Right. I can teach you some basics about how to think if you want. But, you know, and I'm sorry that nobody has actually gotten around to telling you that you can't think, but uh, you can't.
7: And then, as you, since, you're a, since you were the president or vice president of a software company, right, is insider trading actually a problem? Because uh, I think it is.
0: Oh, is insider trading a problem? Well, of course, if it was such a problem, then Congress would not have made it legal for congressmen. <laughs> anyway. Right, um,
7: because I saw, I saw an article in the Seattle in- Times the other day.
0: Yeah, in a free society, look, So is, is insider trading a violation of the non-aggression principle? We I mean, just have to go back to it, right? This. It clearly is not the initiation of force, right? Right. Now, in my opinion, insider trading does distort the marketplace to some degree. It is not exactly a fair advantage, right? So if you know that your company is highly profitable before anyone else does, and then you buy up a whole bunch of shares you're profiting at other people's expense with knowledge that they couldn't have. Now, how this gets resolved in a free market, I don't know. My guess would be that if I were an investor, I would want to invest in a company whose management team had signed agreements to not act on insider information. Now then, if they do that, then they violated contracts, right? Right. And once you violated contracts, then you are in in the negative. So so I would say that um, uh, this this would be dealt with through uh, through contract. And now maybe people don't care about insider trading. I don't know. But there would be a mix, right? And and the right or, or economically optimal mix, sorry, the economically optimal solution would probably be found and would probably become a template. Like, you no, know, how many people write non-disclosure agreements anymore? No, they just have a template, which, you know, mostly works. So uh, I I think it is sort of an unfair advantage, but that's up to the market to decide right i mean if so if you have a you of two companies in the same business one of them says look we don't do insider trading and we've got contracts to prove it here they are and the other company says oh yeah we'll insider trade as much as we want thank you very much right which is going to be economically optimal i would argue that the first one would be but that would be really for the free market to decide
5: yeah
7: okay well that was all all my all of my questions
0: all right i'm just going to ask this is something my daughter can can talk about so um uh, sorry, I just moved it down here. Do you want to sit on there, or do you want to sit here? All right. I'll come over there. Cole, his name is. Cole. Cole. Now, Cole says that he is in school.
1: Mm-hmm. And what do you think of that? Um, I think it's fine. It's fine for him? How old is he? Uh,
0: how old are you? Uh, fourteen. He's fourteen.
1: I think, Yeah.
0: You think, so 14, should we put you in school when you're 14?
1: No, but...
0: <laughs> but it's okay for him?
1: I think uh, it's his choice.
0: Right. Now, would you... When are you going to school again?
1: Uh, never.
0: Never. What about... I thought you were in 20.
1: No, no, I don't. I changed my mind.
0: Oh, yeah. So no school at all? No. Okay. Uh, so Cole is... Uh, he's got a problem. And the problem is this, that there's people in his school who are not good at philosophy. Uh, What did they say to you, Cole, about the government? Uh,
7: Without a government, we're all going to die.
0: So if there's no government, we're all going to die. Is that good philosophy? No. (laughs) Right. So it's just, like, scary.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Like I said, Isabella, if you don't eat those vegetables, your hair's going to catch on fire. What would you say?
1: Uh, That's not good philosophy, and you're not a philosopher, and you're...
0: Going to jail. (laughs) jail. (laughs) Going to philosophy jail. Exactly. (laughs) So um, do you think... That he should debate with people who are bad at philosophy. No. Why not?
1: Because um, I think they won't be good at it, and they will say, "No, my choice is right."
0: Right, and they won't. Would they have good reasons or arguments? Arguments. Like I would they have they good w- good reasons for what I they think were think saying? They have, have
1: really bad arguments.
0: <laughs> right, and a bad argument is like no argument. Like if I said, "Isabella, I'm right because I'm taller." Is that a good argument?
1: No.
0: Right now, if I said snow is cold, and here you can touch it and see, is that a good argument? No. Well, no, it's a pretty good argument if you can touch it, because then you can see if it's cold or not, right? Yeah. Does that make more sense?
1: Yeah, it makes more sense. A lot better sense.
0: A lot better sense. And so, do you think? So I said that he can should. Hold the you can hold the microphone. Absolutely. Now, do you want to ask him anything about school?
1: Um, how is school? Uh, it's. Brainwashing? I don't know.
7: It's it's interesting.
0: <laughs> Brainwashing. I think you'll have to break that down. She is after all five.
7: Uh, right. Um, we get told that the government is good and virtuous, and uh, we get to read large articles on how the government and how we need a government.
0: So they tell, they tell him things are good or bad, but they don't really say why. Oh. So they're not giving him the chance to learn how to think himself. They're just kind of telling him what the answer is without telling him how to think or why. Yeah. And so, but what, how is it for you with the social friends and, and chatting and all that? Is it
7: nice? Uh, I've got, uh, I'd probably say five friends, two or three, which I have converted to anarchists within the last Ooh. two
0: months. So he's got five friends and two or three he's taught how to think well. Oh. So that's good, right? Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about, you've got three more years to go? About four, yeah. Four, yeah. So he's got four more years in school.
1: Oh.
7: Plus college, so.
1: What's your favorite part of school?
7: Um, lunch. <laughs> is that school? No. <laughs> uh, math class
0: is fun. Oh, he likes math. Do you like math though?
1: Oh, I love math.
0: Yeah. How about letters? No, no. <laughs> not big a big
1: thing. A Googleplex thumbs down.
0: <laughs> Googleplex thumbs down. That's definitely it. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to ask him or say?
1: Um, bye.
0: Desi. Bye. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Boo. I'll call you for the next one. Mike,
2: who do we have next? All right. Thanks, Cole. Andrew, you're up next.
5: Um,
3: I'm calling because I'm 22 and I don't have a job and I still live at home and I'm really not happy about it. That. Right.
0: And are you in school at all? No. Right. And um, have you had a job in the past?
3: Yeah. I, I've had a couple of jobs in the past. I, I worked for a retail store and I worked at a cooling company.
0: Right. And uh, what kind of job would you like to have, do you think?
3: anything, Anything where I can well, not anything, but something where I can use my creativity and actually like what it is that I'm doing.
0: Now, the emotion that you were feeling at the beginning of the call, um, where's that coming from, do you think?
3: Mostly from a lack of just me avoiding these topics and other people, people who raised me never talking about these things with me. Right.
0: you right. Right. And um, what do you think the barriers are to you getting a job?
5: Well,
3: right now, um, for me, to, for me to look for jobs, for me to uh, follow up a place after I apply, that I basically have to walk or take the bus, and I just haven't haven't done that. Um, but if do you mean emotional or sort of practical,
0: well, I mean the practical stuff can usually be overcome. I think it's more the emotional stuff, right?
3: Yeah. I think it's that I well I mentioned I live with my dad and he uh, he has a very how do I even say it very unfulfilling very depressing almost pathetic life Um, so he's like uh, 61 or something like that now he works at a Bonds so it's a Grocery store. He doesn't. He's not a manager or anything, so he still stocks shelves. And, uh, him and my mom have been separated for a long time, so maybe it's maybe it's that I don't see what the point is <laughs> of uh, I don't know becoming an adult. Right.
0: Why do you think your father is still stocking in shells when he's 61? Uh, do you think, well, I Just why do you think that's the case?
3: Because he's been avoiding his own issues. I know he doesn't have the confidence to ask for added responsibility or and he doesn't have social skills and he doesn't have, really, he's like a schizoid. I've read a little bit about schizoids and... Uh, my mom was uh, I guess apparently schizophrenic too so I've read a little bit about that stuff and he seems to fit the category of uh, schizoid so he's just not he wouldn't He wouldn't be able to be involved in any job where you have to uh, solve problems or talk to people
0: on a deeper level than just
3: hey how's your day going
0: now it's um, is he um does he lack intelligence, or is it mostly emotional difficulties? It's emotional. And how do you know that he's intelligent?
3: Well, he's, he's always been an intellectual, I guess. Um, I mean, He reads a lot. He, uh, I, I don't know. I've always got the sense that he was pretty smart.
0: Well, you could sort of argue, right? So, I mean, there's intellectual intelligence. There's also emotional intelligence, right? So, if somebody is very intelligent but is a massive underachiever, I would question their intelligence. I mean, if they want to achieve, right? I mean, if if they dissatisfied with whatever, right? Because if you are underachieving, uh, then that's you know costly and frustrating and and not great, right? I I was sort of always question like if if he has emotional problems, then I think the intelligent thing to do is to Say, look, I've got emotional problems. I should I should deal with them. I should read up on self-help books, I should journal, I should take some therapy, or whatever it is, right? So for me, people who sort of say, Well, I'm intelligent, but I'm am, I'm emotional underachiever or I'm an underachiever, it's sort of like saying, Well, I'm intelligent, I broke my leg, but I didn't go to the doctor. It's like, Well, I'm not sure how intelligent you <laughs> yeah. are then. I mean, you said he's yeah. he's so, unsatisfied, right? Yeah. Right. And does he know that uh, he can get help for these emotional challenges?
3: Yeah, I've told him before. And what does he say? Basically, well, just to to sort of frame the the conversation, uh, I think it was one morning when I brought it up to him. He was on his computer, and uh, I started asking him some questions, and true to fashion, true to the, the way he raised me, Anytime I wanted to talk to him, he just he'd be at the computer screen or at a book or something and he wouldn't even look up what he was doing. Like he would kind of semi answer, but he wouldn't make eye contact and he would basically be so unenthusiastic that eventually I would lose interest in, in whatever the topic was.
0: or, or I, would, I would give up trying to get through to him, trying to connect to him. So he does have some emotional skills, right? I mean, in that he can shut you down, right?
3: Yeah, well, okay, yeah, he's very manipulative, very, yeah,
0: yeah. Right, so he's not emotionally unskilled, it's just that they're not terribly productive in terms of having a good relationship, right?
3: Yeah, well, yeah, that's an understatement, but yeah. Right, right. I'm trying to be as <laughs> as
0: diplomatic as possible, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, what what um, what's your father's reaction going to be if you become successful?
3: thought about that before and that that brings up something i was thinking about in when i was thinking about how uh, how to approach this call um i would imagine that what like one scene I, i i'm picturing in my head right now is if say i was i was successful and then then he he's at work and then he sees someone at work that he knows and they oh yeah how, how are you doing um good to see you I haven't seen you in a while how are the kids how are you know how are things going I have a feeling he would he would want to take credit for for my success like a sort of a fake uh persona that he would want to present to other people of oh yeah um uh, Uh, sorry i'm I'm losing my my train of thought but he would i his reaction to my success would externally he would probably act like he was happy for it but I mean I really have no idea how he would react other than that because he's never been a part of my life other than me living under his roof
0: what do you mean he's never been a part of your life I? I understand that well
3: when I say uh He's always, he's always been distracted anytime I tried to connect with him. That was even true when I was really, really young, like, uh, three and four. I remember he would be on his computer and he would, uh, be playing his Commodore games and I would, you know, bring a book over to him, like, I don't even remember specifically just anything and try to connect with him, but then he would ignore me basically, or like, say whatever it was to get me off his back, um... and, and, and every time I would try that, he would basically, sorry, I I forgot the, the question.
0: Oh, well, you said that he'd just not really been part of your life except for you living under his roof.
3: R- right, right. So, so what it was is eventually I just stopped trying to connect to him because, because what it was is what I, when I realized I couldn't just, show him things I was interested in and he would take interest then I would just like like he had his hand on the mouse I would just like flick his hand with my finger or something like and he'd be like oh stop that you know it's like a little I'm I'm, I'm doing anything I can to try to get some attention and if that means I have to annoy him or or whatever then that's what I would do so right He's always been severely neglectful. Uh, him and my mom, when they were still together, went on these uh, Bible retreats, or I don't know what they were called. But uh, I can specifically remember one one of those times them being gone, and uh, I I I wished in my head that they wouldn't come back; that they would die in a car accident or something.
0: Right. And what did you think would so, happen if that had occurred?
3: Then uh, I wanted to, to look, go live with my uh, godmother, who was a friend of my mom's, or my aunt or my uncle, or just live somewhere
0: else. So like anywhere would be better, right? That's sort of the idea. Pretty much. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's amazing just how we can, you know, like baby spiders shooting their webs into the air, just try and go anywhere than, than where we are. I remember when I was, I guess about six or seven years old, There was, I don't even remember her name. But there was a babysitter my mom used to use when she was out on her dates. And uh, she gave me a little curly word candy bar when I'd go over there. We ch- she, she was fun. We chatted. It's the first time I'd actually stayed up also to watch the news. She didn't sort of make me go to bed kind of thing. And I remember very clearly watching the news on a black and white television, wondering what on earth adults could find interesting <laughs> in a man talking, droning on. Of course, now I've become that guy. But anyway... <laughs> And I remember like I was told, oh, you're going to go to this babysitter's tonight, and it turned out that it didn't happen, and I was, I was just bawling the whole night, just bawling. Nobody ever asked me, why are you so upset to not go to this babysitter. It's like, well, she takes some slight pleasure in my existence. Well, I need that. I mean, we need that. Like, we need oxygen as kids, people who take pleasure in our existence, because that's security, right? Right? Yeah. You're secure in your customers if they love your restaurant this is the best food ever. No other restaurant comes close in terms of value and quality. You know those people are coming back because they're taking pleasure in your restaurant. That's your security. Yeah. And, you know, if the other restauranteers around to hate you, <laughs> so much the better, right? Yeah. And so for a child, it is essential for security that the parents take an interest and, and a pleasure in the child's existence. Because, you know, the child knows. They can't really offer anything sort of fundamental in terms of value. You know, here, let me shovel the driveway for you, Dad. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so uh, for, this is why children are so desperate for the good approval of their parents. It's because Because they need it for security, right? They need it to know that they're safe, that they're not going to be abandoned, that they are of value to their parents. And it is really tragic, you know, just the continual degree to which people don't feel that from their parents, right? Yeah. And it doesn't I mean, sound like you, you got much of that feedback in terms of your dad or your mom taking pleasure in, in who you are.
3: Well, my mom, uh, I would say she did, but there was also the fact that she raised me with a lot of fundamentalist Christian ideology. So there was also a lot of denying. So she did take pleasure in, in who
0: I was as long as I conformed to her standard of behavior. You get that that's not true, right? I mean, I don't know if you hear yourself saying that. She did take well, pleasure in who I was as long as I confirmed conformed to her craziness.
3: It, yeah, yeah, that is crazy, that's absolutely crazy, but it's then
0: she's not taking pleasure in who you are, right?
3: Yeah, exactly but but at least I had before she left i I had the illusion of that, I guess, and so yeah. that was better than nothing.
0: Why didn't you go with your mom? Well,
3: she uh, like I mentioned she she was taking a uh, medication for schizophrenia and I think bipolar disorder. She uh, oh, boy. she ended up wanting to to move to from California to Alabama because she thought it wasn't safe here that demons were going to get uh, our family or something like that. Oh, uh, crap. She she lives in a,
0: a group home. So has she She's been institutionalized?
3: Um, she has before. I don't think she lives in one now, but the one she lives at, it's a group home. They have to take the medication. Um, so... Right. I mean with the with the drugs that she's taking it might as well be an institution because I've talked to her on the phone a couple of times and there's no real humanity
0: in, in I'm her. incredibly sorry what a uh, what an appalling childhood I'm I mean what an absolutely appalling childhood I mean nothing that you should have been taught and everything that you wanted to avoid was inflicted on you in perpetuity, right? That's that's absolutely appalling. I mean, my heart is breaking. I mean, what what an unbelievably awful story and what an unbelievably awful existence. How yeah, you doing, brother? I
3: mean, it, I've been listening to your show for six years, so uh, long-time listener, but it's like I didn't realize how much pain and dysfunction I've normalized. And then when it comes out now, I almost feel crazy because there's so much rage, so much
0: sadness, so much everything. Well, you wanted them dead, right, when you were a kid? Yeah. And... I, Which they taught you, because when when you reject a child, there is a murderous intent in that, because a child has no other place to go for acceptance, right? Yeah. But I'm sorry, yeah. uh, keep, keep going, I didn't mean to interrupt you, sorry.
3: I, uh, I That memory that I had of, of wishing they would die in a car accident,
0: <clears throat> um,
3: I imagine car accident because that would uh, not involve pain necessarily or like I imagined like an instant crash where they're just instantly dead or uh right. but then like and then at that time I realized I would be sad I would miss my mom a little bit but I realized that I wouldn't miss my dad at all and I I know that I have fantasies of killing him not, not that I would ever act on but very primal uh
0: yeah. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. When was the last time you saw your mom? Um, probably
3: I'm 22 right now. last time I saw her was probably age 11 or 12. Probably 11. Oh,
0: man. Did she try to contact you at all over the last 10 years or so?
3: No. um, Her mom every once in a while would like I would, I would be at their house for, for a day or something and, and she would ask if I wanted to talk to my mom but that only happened a couple of times and like I said, there's nothing really to talk to anyway.
0: Wow. Wow. I, uh, I'm incredibly sorry that you got exposed to that level of indifference and lack of interest in who you are as an individual. That is... Um, It's hard to find yourself interesting when the people who gave birth to you don't find you interesting for yourself, right? Yeah. And it's hard to feel like you can have value to other people if you don't even have value to your own parents, right? Because going to get a job, which is sort of where we started, going to get a job is saying, I can bring value to you. Yeah. But if your own parents didn't seem that you didn't didn't experience you as bringing value to them then how can you feel, like how will you have the experience of of being valuable to others?
3: Yeah, and and even in the the past two jobs I had, uh, I always, I mean, I, I know to other people, when I was on the job, I looked like very nervous, very neurotic, very... On task at all times, no time to screw around. Uh, you know, working hard, not really making friends with the people at work. So it
0: was like those jobs. Well, you always feel almost, like you're about to get fired, right? Yeah. Yeah, because because that's what your parents gave you. That you know they could take you or leave you. You got to work extra hard just to not get fired by your parents, right? Yeah. So this is called an insecure bond, right? Like, so you don't feel like your parents are really there for you. You don't feel like they're really interested in you, that, that, that you bring value to them, that, that you make them happy, that they, you are an essential part, that they wanted you, that whatever, right? Yeah. And so you feel like you've got to bring you plus, 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 right?
3: Yeah, I have, it means I have to be the best employee every time, you know? No calling in sick, no.
0: Yeah, I had the same. When I had my first professional job as a programmer, I mean, I was the same way. I mean, I was like, oh, I got to work. And I remember a guy who was a friend of mine for for quite a while, he was like much more experienced than I was. I mean, this is my first gig. He'd been working for quite a long time. He's like, we were chatting, we, we went to have a meeting about some programming problem and we he was you know, we were chatting, right? About ourselves and all that getting to know each other. And at one point I said, Hey, you know, we, we got we gotta you know, we're supposed to have a meeting here. We gotta, like we gotta stop talking, we gotta, ah. <laughs> <You> gotta yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah. right. And he's like back to man, work Lex. You, you're taking this stuff way too seriously. And he was very successful. And he was kind of right.
3: Yeah. There was was a guy who I worked with who told me that same thing at my first recent one. He was right, too.
0: (laughs) Now, a a more empathetic person would be like, wow, you know, you must have had a pretty insecure bond with your parents if you're afraid of chatting for 20 minutes when we're supposed to be having a meeting or whatever. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And it's great for the rich and powerful if we're raised in these shitty environments right because then we can't demand or negotiate or right we're not difficult as employees right we're you know everyone talks about people exploiting the workers fuck first people who exploit the workers are their parents why <laughs> is it the workers are open to being exploited cuz they had an insecure bond with their parents who exploited them It's like saying, these workers speak English. It's the capitalists' fault. No? Who taught them that language? The parents. The school. The school exploits children. Government schools exploit children. And then the blame gets placed on the free market capitalist. Yeah. I mean, any Marxist or socialist who's not talking about government schools first and foremost and parenting in general is just an exquisitely detailed bullshit artist. Anyway there but yeah but that's a challenge right so you go to work and you've got this whole history of feeling valueless right so how the hell i mean for you to get a job it's kind of feels like, like a con a little bit right
3: yeah it's like i'll, I'll uh, put on whatever mask i have to do to get the job and then once i'm there i promise i'll be a really good employee right just give me yeah
0: but then you probably don't ever feel like a really good employee you feel like you're just getting by all the time, right?
3: Well, actually, that changed at towards the end of my last job, and that may have been uh, very significant. I, I, at some point during my my six month stint there, which was a couple years back, I um. I. I sort of stopped self attacking. Like it, it wasn't. Obviously, cut and dry, but it had been going down, or it it had been uh, lessening, and eventually, I got to a point where I I was feeling pretty secure in myself. Well, that's good. That's very. Yeah, and and it's because of your show and because of therapy and everything. So, you deserve credit too. But, um, uh, so when I got to that place of where I wasn't self-attacking, I just. I wanted I felt powerful. And I felt like I could do anything. And and I wanted I wanted to quit that job. But I know that it it was not a very wise decision to do so.
0: Why why did uh, you want to quit the job? I, I, uh
3: well okay, I was working like you know what, I was about to go into the specs of the job but that doesn't actually matter because I was actually I was starting to become pretty happy at the place I was working and that's when I thought about quitting
0: Right Why? Um,
3: Well, I had this fantasy that I could go back home 'Cause I, I was I was living in a different city. It was this fantasy that I could go back home and now that I don't have all this anxiety now I can write a bunch of music and and maybe get that script worked out or you know, a movie script I've been thinking about and like had all these fantasies of things I would get done
0: when I got back home and then I, I've been good. You mean about... when you move when you move back in with your dad you had this fantasy about all of this amazing stuff you were going able to be get done get done right yes exactly because sorry your that took so long to house is such a great motivating environment
5: <laughs> and
3: that's where the insanity of the whole thing comes in
0: well do you mind if i'm blunt
3: yeah be blunt please
0: I believe that your inner dad sabotaged your success. (laughs) He's getting ahead. He's happy. He's outstripping me. He's becoming successful. That makes me feel like more of a failure. Got to get him to quit. I know. I'll hold out these carrots of all these great things he can get done if he moves back into my claustrophobic, dead-ass zombie environment. Yeah. That's good, that'll work. Maybe I'll tell him I'll support him. Maybe I'll tell him I'll help him out. Maybe I'll tell him he can come and live here rent-free and get all these great things done.
3: You know what's even worse, though, is that when I called him, I'd already put in my two weeks and he didn't want me to live there and I convinced him to let me.
0: He didn't want you to live at uh, his house? Not really.
3: Wow. So, I mean, to me, that's even worse. It just means that I did the work for him.
0: Right. Well, if the the theory is true, I don't know that it's true. It's just a theory, right? But it seems strange to me that you said that your father read a lot and is very intelligent, but it doesn't manifest in his productivity at work.
2: And it seems to me that you,
0: you had this fantasy of intellectual achievement that interrupted an enjoyable career that you were in, right? I mean, have you, have you written the movies and the scripts? No, not, not the scripts. I've, I've
3: been making a lot of music, so I mean, I, I guess I stuck to that. But even then, uh, what I imagined I would get done, I haven't even come close to it. So
0: No, but <clears throat> making music is not a career, right? Selling music is a career, right? Making music is not. So do you think that, I mean, and and going out and selling your creative work is very tough. That's why there are agents, right? Yeah. I mean, even for people who are raised well, it's pretty damn hard, right? For people who'd be raised with indifference and contempt and fantasy and whatever, right? I don't know that you would have the emotional skills as yet to go out and sell music to people. I mean, that's a, that's, I think that's definitely self-sabotage, right? I mean, have you tried to sell your music? No. Right. How could you really? I mean, it takes balls of steel to do that, even if you race well, but lots of support, right? Where you're coming from, it would be a practical impossibility at this point in your life, right?
3: yeah yeah
0: so it seems to me that you would have joined your dad in in futile intellectualism
3: yeah but
0: and and that's all I've ever had Futile intellectualism, right, but it's not all you'll ever have, and it's not all you are, right. That's not all you have to be forever. You know, all this shit is just history. It's just history. It doesn't mean it's not alive within you. But it's history. It's carved into the atoms of the past. It is not a dictatorship of the future, right? You don't have to end up like your dad. You don't have to end up like your mom. These people can be massive signposts of exactly what not to do with your life. It could be that the very purpose of their existence is to serve as a warning to you. It doesn't have to be your future. Right? But you have to be relentless in your self-knowledge and in your empiricism. You have to know the deficiencies from your history and not have the fantasy of achievement where there's no experience, right? I don't sit there and say, book me for Carnegie Hall. I'm doing a piano concerto because I don't have the experience to achieve excellence. And you don't have the experience in having value for people, in being confident in your own capacities and so on. You don't have that experience as yet. doesn't mean you can't get It doesn't mean you can't achieve it. But the first thing in achievement is a knowledge of deficiency. Right? You have to know what you're not good at in order to know what you can improve on, in order to know what to work on. If I want to be a great pianist, I need to be realistic about my capacities at the moment. And if you want to write music and you want to write movies, fantastic fantastic. I think that's a wonderful thing to aim for, but you need to be realistic about your capacity to not just write, which is a small part of selling stuff or or, or making money from it. The writing necessary, but far from sufficient, right? So you have to be realistic about the challenges that you're going to face going out there and selling the wares that are the very heart of you when you have a history of indifference and rejection at the hands of your parents.
3: Yeah, I, I didn't I mean I I'd been in therapy pretty consistently for like a full year. And and we I guess we got to a point in the therapy where I I wasn't getting as much out of it, but it, it was also I I didn't know what I needed to focus on or I was avoiding
0: it at the time. And so, what does your therapist think about you, or what did your therapist think about you living with your father?
3: um, He was concerned that I um, just that I would go back to being
0: isolated. And did that occur? I mean, you wanted the man to die in a fiery crash you wanted him dead, may not be the most motivating place for you to, to hang out and create in, right? Yeah. You know, if, if the best Father's Day card you can give to your dad is, Dad, I feel less like you should die in a fiery crash these days, may not be the best place to launch your life from.
3: Yeah, you're right.
0: And if your dad is not significantly invested in your success, then it is a challenging environment, to say the least. You know, I really, really believe that we can only be as successful as the people around us want us to be. Yeah, I
3: I can see that.
0: It's a pretty good movie called Broadcast News, and at the beginning, there's this ambitious kid being beaten up by the jocks when he's in high school, and he's like, none of you are going to move away from this town, and none of you people are ever going to make more than $17,000 a year. This was, I think, in a film in the 80s. And, you know, the jocks turn to each other and say, yeah, $17,000 a year, that's pretty good. That's their standard, right? His standard is far higher. Now, if he'd continued to hang out with those people, he never would have made more than $17,000 a year because our ambition is social. You are not an isolated individual. Your ambition is social. I could not achieve what I achieve without the people around me. I could not. When you choose your ambitions, you must choose your tribe, always. The greater your ambitions, the greater your tribe and support system needs to be. James Cameron was married to Catherine Bigelow, who is a director of ultraviolent nationalism films like The Hurt Locker and The One on Bin Laden. She's, you know, a true nihilistic, climactic pornographer. But she and James Cameron were both directors. I think she was a writer originally. Do you think she woke up every morning saying to James Cameron, I don't think you'll ever be a director. You can't make a good film. That's for other people. No. When you choose your ambitions, everyone thinks, well, you just choose your ambitions and you just start working. No, 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 no. You choose your ambitions, then you must choose the people around you. Because you will, I would argue, you will not be able to achieve your ambitions without the support and enthusiasm of those around you. And in turn, you support, it's not right, not one-sided, you support them. Right. You know, the people at the Algonquin round table in the 20s didn't invite the waiter to sit down with them. They're all talking to each other, these literary gods of culture, right? So if you want to make movies, make music, great. But then choose your environment before you put pen to paper.
3: Right. And that's the exact, because I couldn't choose my environment early on, that'd be the exact opposite approach that I would
0: instinctively take. Yeah. Yeah. All all greatness in human endeavors carries a significant risk of harming the small-minded around us and is almost certain to harm the small-minded around us. All greatness creates light that hurts the tiny eyes of the mole people, right? Yeah. If you become incandescent, you were blind. The cave fish of your origins, right?
3: Here's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And uh, I'm thinking... It could only go one of two ways if I became successful and I still lived in this house. Uh, either he would start treating me differently, in which case that's obviously corrupt. Or he would treat me the same, in which case I've changed my life and made myself a better person. And then I get the same treatment, which also isn't, isn't fair. No,
0: I got to be clear with you, though. There's no doubt about this. Because we have evidence, or at least there's very little about it. We have already historical evidence. Could you talk when you were born? No. No. Could you walk? Could you dance? Could you tap your father's hand while it rested on the mouse of his Commodore 64? Yes. Or not, not when see, I was born, no. You've already had experience of you becoming successful around your father. It's called going from being a blob of baby goo, pooping at weird angles, to becoming a functional child. I mean, that's more success than you're ever going to have again. We, you, you, you've already been around him when you have been succeeding wildly. And what was his response?
3: Nothing. Nothing. Well, worse than
0: nothing. Worse than nothing. Yeah. Indifference, right? Yeah. Boredom, self-involvement, rejection, coldness, lack of interest. We already know. You already know how you feel when you succeed around your father. How do you feel when you succeed around your father? Invisible. That is not a feeling. (laughs) Um, I feel angry
3: that I'm not being acknowledged. Right.
0: It's selfish of him. Right. Yeah. And kind of hateful. My daughter's enthusiasm for all the new skills she mastered is glorious. I have to make sure I'm not too enthusiastic so she loses motivation, right? Has your father listened to your music?
3: Uh, yeah, a couple of times. What do you but, mean a couple
0: of times? When? Um, like five five
3: years ago, maybe. I... Uh, he took a video of me playing the piano for a little bit.
0: Has he read any of your scripts?
3: No. But the wor- the, the thing is, I wouldn't... When, when when he took that video of me, it's not something I asked him to do. He just kind of came in. and So I, I wouldn't even... He wouldn't be anywhere on the list of people I'd want to share things with that I created.
0: All right, so you're still hiding from him which means you're hiding from yourself, which means that you're accepting a situation where you can't succeed. And if you accept that situation, you won't succeed. You you can only swim so long against the current before you give up, right? Yeah. And his death doesn't have to be your death, right? His suicide of opportunity doesn't have to be yours, right? But it's going to be painful for him for you to succeed. Yeah. And being able to stand the pain of those you're outstripping is the great barrier to success. Right? That that's the great hurdle that everyone who wants to succeed has to get over. I mean unless you're born to Steven Spielberg or Jaden if you're Jaden Smith, right? (laughs) That's all right. Right, But if, you're, if your parents are not successful and you have high ambitions, then dealing with the pain that they experience in general, for the most part, not always, with your success is the great hurdle. It's not just your parents. I mean, how, how do your friends feel about this? How, how do your siblings, if you have them, feel about this? When you set your sights high and relentlessly pursue high ambitions... The great hurdle is the unconscious resistance of those around you. If it's identified and acted upon, you can make it. If it's not, you can't. Our brain cannot process contradictions and survive. So if you want to be successful and the people around you are afraid of success, your brain will default to social rather than personal standards. Yeah, and that's where I'm at right now. And it's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice once you have the knowledge. You can follow your father into the bottomless pit of absent and resentful and regretful futility and be stacking fucking shelves in a grocery store when you're 61 years old or not. But it has to be a choice which is not personal to you, but which creates necessities for your environment. Find the people who believe in you and believe them. Right. Now, Abraham Lincoln, his father was abusive. And after he left home, Pretty much never saw his father again. Did not invite his father to his wedding. Did not even even invite his stepmother to his wedding. Had nothing to do with his father. And his father began to write him increasingly desperate series of letters when his father was dying. And he wrote back and said, basically, fuck you, no thanks. Good luck getting into heaven. Because his father was an, an abusive, neglectful, irascible man do you really think that abraham lincoln could have achieved a presidency with his father around him
3: <laughs> no i can't even imagine that no that'd be like out of a comedy sketch like abraham lincoln's about to go to the to the primary debate and then his his dad's yelling at him in the other room like oh he, You left the light on in the bathroom. Idiot.
0: Now go with that. Good luck with that Douglas debate. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the Gettysburg Address was adequate in its own way. No, come on. We know that our standards default to the social rather than the personal because culture reproduces all over the world. Muslims become Muslims, Jews become Jews, Christians become Christians, Americans are patriotic in general, right? We default to social standards because that's what allowed us to survive in brutal tribes. We cannot be larger than the most petty person in our life. We cannot be more powerful than the weakest person in our life. We cannot be stronger than the weakest person in our life. We cannot be more eloquent than the dumbest person in our life. And we cannot have more energy than the most depressed person in our life in the long run. well, that fits and spurts, but we'll always return to equilibrium. Success is horizontal first. It is only vertical after the horizontal is there. You build the base of the house, and then you build the house. To build a skyscraper first, you dig into the ground, right? And you plant deep roots, in the ground, just to, 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 to build up first you must dig down to have a stable base. You can start building a skyscraper if you want, it's just going to fall over. To go up, you go down. First you build a base. The base is the people around you. Right? Tell me I'm wrong.
3: No, you're right.
0: I uh, know you're right. Of course, I'm right.
3: All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, that's my question. That's where I'm at. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and
0: all the hours you put in. It's made. It's my pleasure, and I'm just going to see if um, uh, my daughter has anything to add. One sec. Oh
1: you okay. Oh I just got some apple
0: You know, sometimes that happens to me. Like I get this tickle in my throat when I'm in the middle of saying something and I'm
1: toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I just had some I'm having some apple juice, so um some went down when I wasn't following.
0: Oh no, the wrong tube.
1: <laughs> it went down the food tube.
0: Oh, and it should be going down the drink tube. Yes. No good. No good. Okay, so this man's name is Andrew, would you like to say hi?
1: Yeah, where is he what, from?
0: Uh, where is he from? Where are you from, Andrew? California.
1: We're going to California.
0: You're going to like the weather here, then. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah.
0: But uh, I'm just concerned it might be too snowy. <laughs>
1: it's going to be very warm. Very We should warm. tell him the philosophy show.
0: What? We should tell him the philosophy show. Which philosophy show? Oh, the bad one. Do you want to do with the bad philosophy show one more time?
1: Yeah. I think he'll love it.
0: Would you like him to do a bad philosophy?
1: Yeah, but first... Let's, let's
0: do one first, and then we can do it. Yeah? yeah? Okay, go ahead.
1: Yeah, you go.
0: Me? Yeah. Okay. If you want to have a short show, listen to a free domain radio call-in show. Yeah, that's funny.
1: That's really...
0: If you want to stay hungry, make sure you eat lots of food.
1: Um, I don't...
0: You have come on? Andrew, would you like to try one?
1: It's sure. Watch- Mine
3: is, uh, if you want your illusions to be healthy,
0: don't call into the Sunday show. <laughs> if you want to think badly, don't call into the Sunday show. <gasps> <laughs> yeah.
1: What are you doing? If you want to see, I would get covered by an eyeball.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, Andrew was talking about that he writes music. Mm. I'd
1: like to meet him in, in California. Yeah.
0: Would you like to? You know, you, remember the song that you were singing on?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, not the not the uh, Christmas song. Uh, yeah. Da 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 da. You remember that one? No. Yeah.
1: Da 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 da. da.
0: What? da 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 no
1: no <laughs> neither What
0: about all the Buds of a feather you want to sing that?
1: Uh deck the halls, deck the halls.
0: Well, if people in the chat room want to do some bad philosophy, we'd be happy to read those off. In the meantime, let's do deck the halls. But yeah. but should I sing with you? No. <laughs> okay. Go.
1: Nick, you this me, better holly la 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 Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Don we now are gay apparel, fa la 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 la. And
5: the ancient.
1: It, you'll tie, Carol, la la la, la 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 la.
0: Ooh. La. <laughs> How was that first go at the last note? Um,
1: Not
0: perfect? No. Not quite perfect, but you, you gave it great great I passion.
1: It, I, I made it on purpose.
0: Yeah, I know. You were being silly, right? Yeah. That was funny. Let's see what people have to say about the Bad Philosophy Show. Uh, let's see here. Did they see it's funny? Let's see what they say. That was funny. If you want to stay healthy, eat a pound of bacon a day. If you want to get a girlfriend, yell and scream your head off. <laughs> oh, if you want to light a fire, get some wet wood. If you want to have a smile, eat lots and lots of lemons. If you want to paint a picture, throw out all your brushes. That's bad philosophy. Fantastic. If you want to make a friend, be really, really mean.
1: Yeah, do one. Yeah. If you want to have a philosophy show, always be mean.
0: That's a good one. If you want to have a philosophy show, always be mean. If you want to ride a horse, visit a bunny farm.
1: If you want to have some power... All oh, come to the fifth birthday of me, so that you get the power. That's
0: right. The power went out on your fifth birthday. Very exciting. Thank you, baby cakes. Would you like to say bye to everyone?
1: Bye, bye, bye.
0: All right. Okay. Well, thanks, everyone. Have yourself a. Uh, uh, have a great
1: holiday. Have a great holiday and. Uh, have a great vacation.
0: And have. Thank you, Izzy, for your help with have people. A great vacation. Oh, hey. Have a great vacation. Okay. <laughs> Have yourself a absolutely great uh, week, everyone. And I guess we'll talk to you on uh, Wednesday night.